0: Turn around and start to run indeed. It's the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Rory McNamara, back from my extended hiatus. And what a show to come back to. Volume 1, October 1998, World Championship Wrestling. We have two other shows for you on the Wingding this month. Volume 2, pretty historic show. All three hosts, myself, Chris and Chris, looking at WWF Judgment Day. Volume 3, ECW, Chris Lacey and Eric, building up to November to remember. As I'm sure you know, if you tune into this show, Halloween Havoc was indeed World Championship Wrestling's pay-per-view this month. Is that not right, Adam Joyce?
1: Yes, um, it was. I'm going to go be generous and be. It was an event. I don't
0: know. It, was a, sure. it was a thing that's happened. Uh, emphasis on thing, you might say, but we will get there shortly. In fact, right now, because we have some news headlines, Adam, if you would be so bold. What's been happening in the world of World Championship Wrestling behind the scenes? this particular month. Hogan and Warrior wreak havoc. They most certainly do. It wasn't held in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was actually held in a place just outside called Paradise, Nevada, was Halloween Havoc. I can only assume that was somebody's idea of an elaborate rib. Because yes, indeed, Hogan and Warrior did the impossible. Eight and a half years in the making, they didn't quite manage to rewrite their own personal history. But they did manage to get Mr. Dave Meltzer to put five snowflakes down on his little Olivetti typewriter. And before that, he put the little minor sign as well. Yep, full negative marks from Dave Meltzer for their match, which was second from the top at Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. For a lot of people, which we'll talk about later, that was indeed the final thing they saw. For about 20%, 20% of the pay-per-view audience, their screen went black at the end of that horror show. Some might call it a mercy killing. So they missed the real main event which was Goldberg pinning Diamond Dallas Page in a pretty damn solid match, actually. We will, oh yes, talk a lot more about Halloween Havoc a bit later on. But trust me, you didn't make it up. It really did happen. Scott
1: Hall Legal Trouble Part 417.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm afraid so. And it it, it doesn't get any better, does it? On October the 1st of this year, uh, Scott Hall was arrested outside a nightclub for keying a limousine. Um... Once again, had to post bail. Mm, We'll have to answer a court again, I believe, next month. No sign of him getting out of any trouble. So his ex-wife, Dana, has actually been doing a lot of interviews this month, too. Basically blaming WCW for making a character out of this, the last call Scott Hall that we're seeing a lot of these days. And I do think she's got a point. And World Championship Wrestling even made a further angle out of this on October the 5th where the Red and Black chased around various pubs, clubs, and nightclubs to find Scott Hall. And, as a real in-joke, Sting destroyed a limo. Will Scott Hall get the message? Are the company really trying to even give him a message? I do wonder, but it just gets bleaker and bleaker every month for the poor man.
1: Kevin Nash takes it easy.
0: (laughs) I bet that one shocked you, didn't it? Yes, in an interview where Kevin Nash admitted that he himself often matches Hall drink for drink, let that one sink in for a second or two came the revelation, if that's the right word that he much prefers working tag team matches these days because he doesn't need to do quite so much <laughs> yes we give you the big hits here on the new section of the podcast every week. Uh, however, he does need to get his singles chops in <laughs> his single chops in trim best he can because apparently he's going to be the main event of Starcade against Goldberg for the world title so some people are telling mr wade keller and mr dave Meltzer, will we get there will we not keep it with us we'll tell you first a giant
1: departure
0: and yes giant has not renewed his contract which runs out at the end of the year a lot of talk that he will be jumping ship to the world wrestling federation uh some reports even have it is he already already been tapped up however all sources deny this it should be said that the giant is not in the high echelon of earners by any means. Of world Championship Wrestling, especially when you consider he's a former world champion, he's currently in the three hundred fifty to six hundred thousand pound bracket. I'm told, some way down on many other people. I think you can guess who they particularly are. He most certainly is not earning Sting money. So yes, watch out for watch out for the giant possibly appearing in the federation as early as January nineteen ninety nine. If it happens, we'll let you know. Just to keep you abreast of the ratings for the month of October. Absolute dead heat on October the 5th, the one we will talk about shortly, 4.5 to 4.5. Nothing to separate the two companies. A narrow victory has been awarded for Raw on October the 12th, 4.8 to 4.7. A clearer victory for Titan by dead five against the 4.4. But on October the 26th, Nitro did actually secure a victory, 5.1 to 4.5, which I'm sure has nothing to do with the fact that they ran the entire... Goldberg versus DDP match from the previous night's pay per view. Coincidence, of course. And you can find us, the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, on patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. We now have two tiers available for you if you want to say thank you for bringing retro wrestling goodness, it says here, into your lives each and every month. For $1, you will get our standard shows in your inbox as soon as they are edited. You will not need to wait until the end of the month. But if you want to drop us $5 a month, You'll be able to hear our special shows. Could be a watch-along, could be a review, could be an analysis-based program. Could just be us larking about, but it's going to be something very different outside a timeline. Adam has been on one. He had a whale of a time talking about Clash of the Champions, August 93, The Shockmaster and all that. At least one of those shows for you each and every month, possibly even more. Patreon.com forward slash Wrestling20YRS. Drop us anything you can. Every little is appreciated. Say, we do not do this for money, but we just, if we want to keep the show on the road for as long as we possibly can, and the money, you don't need to ask yourself the question, where does the money go? It keeps us rocking and rolling. So thank you very much indeed, all those who have subscribed, and if you wish to do so, we're going to give back just a little bit more to you as well. So let's begin looking at World Championship Wrestling. Oh, let's. Very, very eventful show took place on the 5th of October, 1998. And I'm going to give that one the live read treatment for you here. I've got the 12th and 19th ready to go for you in pre-tapes before we talk about the pay-per-view. But I'm going to go through this one for you segment by segment. I'm going to bring in the boy Adam for a couple of discussion points as well. So the 5th of October, 98 Monday Nitro in Columbia, South Carolina. The commentary team are baffled by a maniacal laugh being heard around the arena. Well, I can't see anyone else smiling around here. Are you sure? You want to live like... I'm not going to sing on this show. After what seems like eons of recapping the Brett Hogan stuff, sorry, the Hogan-Brett stuff, got to get it right, we get to a match which will literally knock our socks off between Saturn and Lismark Jr. Perry wins with a DVD, and sadly, I am wearing slippers. Kaz Hayashi versus the Cat is up next. Ernie is still doing the Gennaro heel stuff. Five seconds, Jackie Chan, you know the deal, which also includes him missing his two-kick finish by about 100 yards. Sonny Ono suddenly joins up with him afterwards with zero explanation. The Japanese have seven hearts, adds Larry, unhelpfully. Jerry Flynn against Hoovy continues our suddenly match-heavy opening hour. Disco drops in on commentary, telling us he will make Cruiser wait. Wait. A Hoovy driver does the business. Roth faces Viano. And bear with me a second. I've just got to check my notes. Viano 5. That's it. He tears through him and wins with the meltdown. He's starting to get a bit over, you know. Okay, now we have this segment.
2: Welcome back, and we're still outside. As a matter of fact, we're going to go all the way out of the building. They have not stopped. They have not been able, they being in security, not been able to stop the Wolf Pack. wolf pack. tell going to get that thing going. Sting has jumped into a machine. That's, that's, the- that's a forklift. That is a forklift. Berserk, he's gone absolutely berserk, he's trying to destroy this limousine. He's picking it up. Look at that. At least he didn't scratch it up with a key. And look on the other side. Be careful. Kevin Nash pounding it with a sledgehammer or some sort of device. He's going it, he's, he's gonna drop the- oh, it, my, uh, oh, uh, my uh, goodness. Takes care of that, 100,000. I've never witnessed anything like this in uh, uh, professional wrestling uh, uh, in uh, my, uh, my career. What has been virtually a symbol of Hollywood can't, Hogan, can't. of Indy. Sting, I've never seen a man so uncontrollable, but as uncontrollable yeah, as he is with his actions, the, the, right, the way he walks around, the way he talks, on. he seems very a knife much up, man, in control of his emotions, doesn't he, Bray? Well, you can't tell
3: sometimes. He looks like he's in control. But if a man gets a
2: forklift, picks up a 4,000-pound, 6,000-pound car, a limousine with a forklift and then dump it over on his head upside down, I don't think that guy's in control. Hogan's going to have... Ever. Welcome to Devolution Derby. Well, they deserve every bit of it, and I can tell you fans, right now that this is only the tip of the iceberg.
0: The red and black turn up and start searching the backstage area. Conan arms himself with a broom, the first time he has carried one. No. They manage to find the no-marks from the black and white and give them a beating, complete with the likes that the lights accidentally going out at one point. This drags on for far too long until Sting just sort of moses into Brett's locker room before doing a number on him. They are due to face each other for the US title later. After a break, Sting is outside and he gets into a forklift where the NWO limo happened to be parked. That was careless of them, wasn't it? He then drops it to the ground as the Wolfpack then smashed the remnants with sledgehammers and, oh yes, this really happened, Conan steals the hubcaps. <laughs> Adam, a very impressive visual. Well, not that bit, but limo dropping was a very impressive visual. But um, what was the point of it?
1: Uh, I think I was wondering that when I when I was sort of sitting there. Um, I mean, <laughs> the gang warfare thing makes some say, some lick of sense. Uh, it just seems odd that you know they've waited so long to do. It. I mean, what what caused it this particular week? Um, yeah. I, I don't know, vehicle vehicle assault in, in wrestling always seems very out of place. But I mean the WWF they do it a lot with with Austin, but I don't know. There's just something about when Austin does it that just makes it fun. Uh the limo thing I really don't don't get. Um I, I did enjoy I did enjoy some of the backstage scrapping they did though. But, um Especially when Sting just walked up to Brett and just clocks in one. I thought that was, just <laughs> that was just something fantastic about that. I thought, um, but like I said, it, it just seems weird. There's I'm not, I don't, rec- I actually watched the Thunder before this, and I don't remember seeing anything on there that sort of made me think, oh, these two are going to really kick off on Monday, but maybe I, I missed something.
0: Missed something on Thunder, get away. Um, yes, this particular been segment pretty good this month. Um I've watched two of them.
1: Um <laughs> and unlike last month, I actually watched them at the regular speed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Billy, you have a rival. Uh yes, this mm. particular this particular segment on nitro. It's one of those where it doesn't really stand up to any close analysis. It's Sting getting into a forklift truck and picking up a limo and dropping it. That's really all there is to it. So it's only one of those where, well, the benefits of a show like this, we have the freedom to do so, we could try to pick up the, pick up the pieces, pun intended, to see exactly what it was for. And I've got to be honest, everybody listening, I've got nothing on this one, unless it was a thinly veiled reference to Scott Hall's limo-related arrest four days ago that we talked about in the news. That's what everybody seems to be surmising that's really inside baseball for me. And I don't think anybody really gets over it for the sake of it. Tony was doing his best on commentary, trying to link this back to the Sting Hogan feud, but <laughs> that one does not need exhuming. Thank you very much. Sting does not need to go there ever again, especially after the disaster of last month. It looked good, but did it really mean anything? Did it? Did this really get the red and black over as the badasses they're supposed to be? I don't think it did. They're already over enough as it is. They don't need to really prove themselves. They get monumental cheers every single week. I've had my issues with that. But once again, like I said, I'm a WWF show this month. It's the paying fans who count. They like these guys. Who am I really to argue? But it's one of the images of the year. Much like with, it's like with a magic eye painting. You sit, you sit, you sit, you look at it. You think, oh, it's a llama. And then you just move on with your life. After Conan stealing the hubcaps, Damian versus Hector Garza follows it. Almost certainly not an accident, I'm sad to say. But Eddie breaks up the match early.
3: I got one question for you. What has Eric Bischoff done for you? What has Eric Bischoff done for you? That's exactly what. He hasn't done nothing for you. Just like you and you and me. He's got us wrestling each other week in and week out. Right? We're wrestling each other. He never gives us the opportunity to wrestle somebody else, to try and climb the ladder of success, you could say. He doesn't give you any money to where you can get your own rent a car. Huh? All you guys. Have to share a rental car. I'm talking there's five, six guys to one car, three or four guys to one room. Who's got all the money? It looks pretty full to me in here tonight. It's rocking and rolling, but who's rolling around in the money? Hey, if you don't have your nose work, Eric Bischoff has his nose. Hollywood, Hogan. If you ain't part of his clique, then you're not gonna make any money. They get the jets, they get the limos, they get everything. They get to wrestle whoever they want and when they want. And they're always the main event. And you know what? He probably even couldn't tie your wrestling shoes.
2: I don't think they have a limousine uh, tonight, not now, they don't.
3: So I'm telling you this right now, I can't do nothing by myself. You can't do it for yourself or you, but we can do it together, united. La raza, man, I'm talking about what we are. We're Latino. I want you guys to join me, man. LWO, Latino World Order. Together we can do this. We can go against you want to be part of the clan? You want to be together? Put these on, boys, and follow me. Now, Eric Bischoff, I'm telling you one thing. We are going to do what it takes to get our piece of the cake. And you know what you can do, Eric. Right here. <laughs>
0: As you've just heard, he tells them they, and he, never have the opportunity to fight anybody else but themselves. Eddie needs help to climb the ladder, and he needs fellow Latinos to do it. Yes, everybody, the Latino world order are here, and Bischoff knows what he can do. Adam, it's something for Eddie to really get his teeth into after the feud with Chavo just sort of fizzled out. It's another stable, though. I've just been talking about one for the last five minutes. What upside do you see for the LWO? Is this really a vehicle for Eddie to get further over? Should he perhaps have had an outturned face? What are your your feelings and thoughts on the LWO so far?
1: Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, I'm, you know, Eddie's, uh, he's got good promo skills and he's getting a chance to show. Him. The only my only issue really is that just the. Way they sort of went about um, bringing it about, you know, all the quasi-worked shoot things they were doing between him and Bischoff. Yeah, that that just seemed a weird thing. They're you know, sort of trying to do put something across as a shoot to what is you could is arguably a, a, a works angle. Um, but you like I said, I'm I'm enjoying some. I enjoy a lot of these guys on their own and. They are some of the more sort of prominent luchadors. Some of these guys I, um, I watch and I don't know who they are, like um, Liz Mark Jr. who was in the first match. But the only note I have for him in that match is he's wearing a similar type of mask and a similar type of gear to Rey Mysterio. Is that really wise? Um, but yeah, I, th- I think this could be great for these guys. It could give them a chance to get noticed. Um, I won't go as far as say push because this is WCW and um, if you're not in the NWO, you don't get pushed, but that might explain why uh, they're using their t-shirt design Um, and LWO, you know, just in case uh, someone in creative mistakes them for the NWO and (laughs) puts them on a pay-per-view, but for no other reason than the fact they just happen to be wearing the right shirts.
0: (laughs) It would be a very easy mistake to make otherwise. So for those Mm. keeping score at home, we've had the New World Order. We've had the Blue World Order. We've had the NWO Red and Black. And now we've got the Latino World Order. Oh, I'm not forgetting, of course, Dell's Glasgow World Order, which has gone a bit quiet recently. Um, But yes, Eddie is head of the Latino World Order. I agree with you, Adam. He is good on the mic and he is finally getting a chance to show it. Eddie is somebody they have always liked in World Championship Wrestling. You go back and watch a lot of the early nitros of the autumn into the end of 1995. They've only got about 45 minutes of TV time to play with at the time, of course. And Eddie is on pretty much every week having a showcase match for about eight or 10 minutes. I swear for about six or seven weeks, he's on there non-stop, from the beginning of October to the middle of November, possibly even beyond that as well. They've always liked him. They've never really known what to do with him. <laughs> he almost in spite of that, managed the not not inconsiderable feat of being our wrestler of the year last year. So <laughs> there are people out there who recognize his skills. This will be a chance to get him over and, as you say, by osmosis, actually give a lot of the faceless luchadors who are just there to fill a spot on Nitro, give them actually something fairly substantial and tangible to do every single week. But the whole tenor of the angle is that the NWO get all the TV time. And I think this one is very much going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. They are not going to be rocking with the NWO anytime soon, I can assure you of that. That spot is very much taken. So in its own right, no matter how long it goes on for, this is going to be strictly mid-card. But is it that last major thing to give Eddie that real push that I think he really deserves to put him on the cusp of the cusp of the... Main event picture, if he's ever going to get there, I think it could be this that just elevates him. The fans seem into it. You know, Let's face it, look at all the other big stables around these days. I'm not really sure you can count the horsemen at this point. All the other stables around, these ones have got the best workers in them, so they're certainly going to win people over in the ring. And I, too, am very intrigued about how this goes, as long as they get the time to do so, and it doesn't get too repetitive too early on. Now, I've already seen enough of Eddie's shaking his ass towards the camera for a lifetime. <laughs> I prefer him just pouring hot water, cold water on himself two months ago was preferable to that. But yes, I'm intrigued. So let's keep the intrigue going. Uh, through the show angle, uh, Mike Tenay tried to grab a word with the Wolfpack. They were off to find Scott Hall and they went bar to, bar to bar to do so. More on that shortly. Psychosis and Kidman should be good. The two got the time they needed to make it good and it was. Kidman took a match you definitely need to see with the Shooting Star Press. Warrior joined us via pre-tape, probably wise as there are still tons of edits here. Specific references to April the 1st, 1990 and the Sky Dome are made. Hogan's ego is pitiful and insatiable, but Warrior believes in the power of the individual. The One Warrior Nation is a concept for the next generation. (laughs) Good luck to them trying to understand it then. Hogan, I am in your dreams wreaking havoc we don't know the half of it at this point after three minutes scott steiner backstage vignette where he rips on rick in no uncertain terms in the ring with the mic is now well scott steiner At halloween havoc he will put the dog-faced gremlin's tail between his legs rick emerges and calls both scott and buff sissies he then brings out bagwell's mum to dress him down over making fun of his own injury Glass breaks hundreds of miles away during a high-pitched tirade, and then Buff takes the mic before any greenhouses in London crash to the ground. It actually reminded me of this.
2: Image is vital to the modern politician, and top image makers Charles and Morris Satchi have transformed Mrs. Thatcher from being a once tough-edged old harridan into being today's tough-edged old harridan with a silly voice. Well, we always knew the voice was the. Uh... The key? the key, yes. Mm. And look at this clip of her when she first got elected to um, Parliament, Parliament, yes. Mm. I would like to hang the returning officer! Hooray!
0: Bit of a spitting image, 1987 election special there for you. But of course you all knew that. Without buff, you can't even eat, says Bagwell. But she responds with a slap to the face, and she even tries to give Scott one rick then takes care of him Then mother dearest cuts naughty boy marcus out by his ear no supper on monday night football for him tonight we then cut back to the ring where adams is going after rick but the steiner bulldog secures a win hogan is here after all i knew it was too good to be true whether it's been a result of psycho phenomenon or just plain videotape he doesn't care what the fuck? he wants to beat warriors rear end right now failing that at halloween havoc he will be contractually obligated to he will rub the paint off his face and expose him as the fraud he is. And here comes a direct quote. I will ensure the history books are written the way I want them to be written. Really? You should have said. Number one contender DDP goes against Canyon. It's competitive, maybe too much so, until Raven dives in with the mic for the DQ. Goldberg is here for the save. They then back into each other, but JJ is there, JJ is there to tell them to save it for the pay-per-view. The disciple has woken up, poor old Lenny Lane has to lay down for the oath, who is now his own man now and forever. Hogan hears this, of course, and gives chase.
2: The disciple has cut the corner there, I don't know where he went. So Hogan's going back to his own locker room the now.
3: Get out here, you idiot. I get Come on, man. Here. Take him out. Take oh, him out! he at? God. Hey, he was just here! I saw him come in here! You
2: saw him come in here! It's that warrior. Look, look at that! What, what the? What? what Look at... Oh, you know, what's the He's in the wall! He's in the mirror! Hollywood, look at him. Look at him. Look at, him. Look, at, him. Look, at him. look at what? I know the king. I know the king. I the king. the Hey brother, I know the rules. I get the number. You're
3: disciple. Just play the game. How mad on the team? Oh, it's real funny. You think it's funny, Who are you talking about? Well, look at the warrior! Look at what laugh
2: on you want! Look at what? I mean, will well, laugh all you want, Warrior! It's real funny! You know what? The last laugh is gonna be Warrior! Okay, he's right there, brother. Warrior, I'm on a team. I know what to do with you, I'm gonna i right
0: <laughs> He loses him and ends up in his locker room with Bischoff. Then the warrior appears in the mirror or the wall, as Larry puts it. Hogan can see him. The camera can see him. We can see him. But Bischoff can't see him. Make your own jokes about Eric being willfully blind, but come on, who does this make the look most stupid? Bischoff, Hogan, no, Adam, it's us, isn't it? It's all of us.
1: Yeah, any, anyone with any sense would have, <laughs> would have turned off longer. Uh yeah, it's what well, people um, what gets overlooked is um, you know on on his way to see to finding warrior in that mirror. He he was off looking for Ed Leslie, which makes Hogan the only person probably alive today that can claim that he wanted to see Ed Leslie <laughs> in, a, in a wrestling arena.
0: Those I, packs don't carry themselves, you know.
1: I, um, I think it was actually on Thunder the week before uh, Shivani was trying to say how Ed Leslie was Uh, prior to Hogan was, you know, a star on his own, which is ridiculous because his first big break was as one half of the Boulder Brothers with uh, Terry Boulder, who, of course, is uh, Hulk Hogan. It's just like, yeah. So that that just irritated me for some reason. Um, But, yeah, I don't know what they were trying to achieve with this. Does anyone... So it's it's the One Warrior Nation. That's that's what Warrior is leading now, despite yeah. the fact they're yeah. you know, relatively, which means there are two of them. That aside, so One Warrior Nation is supposed to be the total antithesis of um, of the New World Order, and I yeah. think they're going a good way about that. I mean, you sort of look at it. You know, when when the New World Order started out, the ratings they weren't amazing. Uh, in fact, Bash of the Beach '96 had a lower buy rate than Bash of the Beach. 1995 yep. um, you know ev- everyone really really solidly believed um, that the NWO were this invading faction they even went as far that the merchandising was not available on the WCW merch stands you had to go out the back of the venue and there was uh, someone literally selling it out the back of a van um, you know and the One Warrior Nation, they're doing just ridiculous stuff that you absolutely can't believe Um, obviously the New World Order, they reached uh, the pinnacle at Starcade last year, where they broke uh, buy ratings records Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know if we've got the uh, buy rates for Halloween Havoc in yet but I have a strange feeling (laughs) it's going to be close in the other direction so, yes, the One Warrior Nation, a complete antithesis of the NWO.
0: The antithesis are good, if you want to break it down and make it a bit more simple. The One mm. Warrior Nation might well be getting the the old curly finger treatment before too long. This has not been confirmed yet, so I didn't mention it in the news. I feel like I should mention this at the pay-per-view, but I really want to say it now. That Warrior could well be gone. He does appear on the final Nitro of the month, but he could well be gone. In a pop of smoke, yes. But we're going to confirm that for you next month when we get the sheets in for early November. That's not been confirmed at this point, One what can only hope, you might say. This segment was indeed appalling. Ed Leslie, just carry the fucking bags and shut up, mate. You don't know how lucky you are. Very few people in this world have headlined Starcade pay-per-views. Ed Leslie is one of those such people. Just think about that for a second. And this absolute nonsensical crap. This is not going to fly anymore in October 98. I remember watching Papa Shango make Ultimate Warrior, as it was then, puke up six summers ago. I was at the age of 10 at that particular point, and I thought this was just hokey, complete nonsense. I was the target audience. Who is this targeted at? Ultimate Warrior appearing. Oh, sorry, I'm doing a Hogan there. Warrior. Don't see me, Bischoff. Warrior. (laughs) In the mirror. Which everybody can see him except for Bischoff, right? Okay. And on the other channel, Steve Austin is raising hell. Some might say it's no comparison and some might be right. Even though this particular Nitro and Raw did a dead heat. Maybe there really is no accounting for taste after all. But this was a truly wretched segment that insulted the intelligence of everybody involved. And once again, I'm going to say it, it gets worse. But let's stick with Nitro just for the time being. But it's coming. It's coming. The Wolfpack finally truck down Hall. He's in a private club, which, presu- which presumes he can sign his own name after all. They beat the sauce out of him until they stick his head down the bog. Hey, everybody, I just report what I see. Bischoff is here again to call Flair more of a coward than he is a fossil, but one-armed bandit, Arn Anderson, is here to shut him up. He has a new job description, in charge of head games. It's not a thing, but Arne could get away with it as far as I'm concerned. He brings out 10-year-old Reed Flair, complete with amateur wrestling medal as won in April, who then takes Eric down twice. After the break, Bischoff is hot, and he wants Rick Flair right now. Liz tries to phone him, but gets Beth instead and also sprack Zarathusa strikes up. Yes, the real deal is here. The NWO noobs quickly come out, but the horsemen see them off, and Bischoff has already run for it. David Flair joins them all in the ring as they celebrate. And after all that, Sting is here for the US title match versus Brett. Hart, though, merely skulks around the entranceway before walking off. Sting takes the bait, and switch, then chases Hitman to the back. They brawl yet again, and even Tony on commentary suggests this is getting just a little bit silly right now. Sting gets suplexed through a table and, gives, and then Brett gives his ankle a good pilmanizing. The hatred has just gone too far. The Stinger recovers by running a production truck into Hart's knee. He is then able to wedge the hitman's leg into a doorframe. He then nails him with a steel pole and locks on the scorpion. Security finally turn up, Doug Dillinger brings along a chair for Sting to rest on. Yeah, that'll help. Whilst Brett just sort of squidges away. The crowd can be heard to boo as we go off the air. They did not get what they wanted. That concludes the 5th of October, 1998, Monday Nitro. Pretty crazy stuff, but uh, you ain't heard nothing yet. Stay with us. We get a cold open on the 12th of October as Eric Bischoff tells security at the United Centre they need to look out for an old guy, white hair, big nose, who walks around going woo. It is their job to stop him getting into the arena. If Roth vs Lodi feels like a mismatch, that's because it is. The meltdown gets it done in short order and then Mang fancies some, as ever. Kendall Windham takes on Dale Torborg. The lucky devil is in the WCW pit crew, whatever that is. He wins here with a kicky thing and actually injures himself in doing so. None of the crew emerge to change this bad wheel. Sting has the mic. There was a time where this meant something. Oh well, nevertheless, he calls out Brett right now. And Hogan too. And the warrior answers? He makes vague allusions to their past and says he has unconditional respect for the Stinger. He is here for a one-time request. Nay, demand. He stands alongside Sting to fight. Will we see the Blade Runner's implode. After telling us that he's a because light guy, and I would have put money on that, Bischoff does the usual honours for Hogan. His giants will take care of Goldberg for the world title tonight and end the Gaga. He has also had a word with the Hitman, and they would be happy to beat those two cartoon characters later tonight. He just about stops himself from actually saying Ultimate Warrior this time, and the first three rows are almost knocked off their feet by Bischoff's sigh of relief at that. Uncle Eric is then called to the outside as a limo pulls up containing Flair and the Horseman. Oh, and the owner of the United Centre, Bruce MacArthur. He states that this building, or more specifically, a skybox, belongs to the Horseman. It's no good chewing out Doug Lillinger now, Bishop. Finley versus Wright in a battle of Europe. Feet up roll-up does it, but then the British Jellyfish, as Alex Wright called him earlier, helps out and gets whacked by Finley for his trouble. Leparca, Secret Play, and Biano, Whatever are against Chavo, Callow, and Psychosis. Larry actually calls it best when he says, One of the teams won. It was Chavo pinning Secret Play after a tornado DDT. The LWO, now with added L Dandy, come out afterwards and do what I now believe will be their standard shtick. Eddie tells them to forget the economical situation Bisoff has put them in. They all join, including Pepe, too. Big Popper Pump is here, Sons Bagwell. Chicago sucks, I am your hookup, holler if you hear me. But then Buff and his mum join us. He and Scott now do have a problem, especially as BPP tells him he can snap his neck just like that. His mum was right. This has gone too far, and it is all Steiner's fault. Maybe it is now time to go one on one right here in Chicago. Scott responds by calling Judy an old bag and says he can take her to the mat. Bagwell hits back early, but then Scott attacks with a low blow and a stun gun. Hooventud faces the lesser-spotted Prince Ayakia. Or he would if Disco wasn't here. His dancing is interrupted quickly, though. Hoovy driver wins, and then Kidman takes care of Disco. Nash is out for a natter. It takes a lot to get him upset, but now Scott Hall has touched his last nerve. As a former bouncer, he is very adept at beating up drunks, Come on out, Scott Hall. It's last call. The bad guy then staggers out for his usual method acting turn. He will fight Big Sexy. Down where? Down there. He chases Scott, does Nash, and then ends up outside the arena. A limo rolls off with Hall in it, and then Nash grabs his own motor and makes off in hot to shoot. Jericho against Raven, you say? No quarter asked or given in this heel-heel scrap for the TV title, which Jericho wins after rolling the even flow into the Lion Tamer. Gene invites Rick into the ring. Laughter is heard over the PA, and then on the video screen it's... ...shocky? Ch- this is all in order to plug his new movie. Proof that trying to cross-promote wrestling with, well, anything really, is doomed to failure. Bischoff storms out with a mic. Tonight, he does not want Ric Flair here. Dillinger and Dylan get out here now. He tells them they are going to crash the Skypox party. He gets right to the door, but is met by MacArthur. In a fit of peek, he shoves him and then security pile right in. Eric gets taken to the ground and hogtied, and then Flair gets the demand. They throw him out. Now it is time for Goldberg vs. Giant for the world title. No DQ. Bill slams Giant, but then Stevie Ray is in with the chair. Giant with a chokeslam, but DDP is on hand to break up the pinfall and to give Stevie a dodgy diamond cutter. He is then about to be chokeslammed himself, but Goldberg hits back with a spear. Giant is dragged out of the ring and helped to the back, meaning an anything goes match ends by count-out. And that is how we get to 150-0. So here indeed is Sting Warrior versus Brett Hogan. Sting takes the heat, but you knew that. He gets the hot tag, and Brett and only Brett has the bump for Warrior. But you knew that. Hogan gets in a cheap shot, but Warrior no-sells and the MWO come in for the DQ. But you know that. And then the ring fills up with smoke. Complete with them throwing Warrior out of the ring so he can't disappear. Is that what the kids call psychology now? He recovers to lightly attack everyone with Hogan's own weightlifting belt as we bring the show to an end. The Target Center takes us home before Halloween Havoc. The Capacity crowd, and they are a hot one today, are treated to an open between Saturn and... Chaos. They remain pleased when Saturn wins with the DVD. The LWO beat the four luchadors who haven't yet joined the LWO. Eddie cuts his increasingly workaday promo, but that is at least enough to convince La Parker to add the t-shirt to his bones. Canyon easily beats Scott Putsky with the flatliner, and then the other Scott joins us. Don't tell him I said that. He wants somebody tough to face him, and Rick answers, why don't they get it on right here in the doghouse. Scott asks if it will be a fair fight, and Rick answers with a fist of the chops. The Gremlin dominates until a low blow in a steel chair to the back of the leg. Buff, in NWO shirt incidentally, is in for the save. We have to wait until later in the show to see that he then threw the shirt off, and there was no turn... yet. Finley vs Bulldog. Wright hits Davey with a dropkick, and Fit wins with a tombstone-type pile driver. Alex tastes the pasting as well, while Larry wonders whether Ireland is in Europe. Jericho is out with a Jericho 3 Greenbug Zero t-shirt, and he has his personal security with him. He wants to teach Bill respect one more time, and will knock the hair off his head when he can. He puts out a challenge instead to Paige, who nobody else cares about. DDP tells Jerkiko, nope, not having that one, that we can do that very match tonight. Roth vs Tokyo Magnum feels like a mismatch too. How long can I keep that one up for? He wins with the meltdown. Disco and Riot are due to face Carlo and Silver King, but the latter hand over the match to... Benoit and Malenko. Bischoff storms out. Does he know how to do anything else? and steals a spot on the commentary table. The horsemen are in breach of contract by showing up, and as such they will be working for free, whether they like it or not. Benoit drops Disco with the crossface. Eric threatens this is the last time we will ever see this on our show. So here is Page versus Jericho, hopefully not for the final time as they really mesh well. Goldberg is in for the spear of course, then he allows Page to hit the cutter. But then also of course they come to blows, nearly, until JJ and co. break it up. Not long to wait now. Raber Skidman is up. It's both lengthier and slower paced than you might expect, and is all the better for that, until we hit the abbreviated time limit that everybody, including me, had previously forgotten about, and it is declared a draw. The mayor of Minneapolis, Sharon Sales-Belton, is here, and she brings out some bloke called Ric Flair. Bischoff, Storm, ah, you know it. Today is not Ric Flair day, But as much as he might like to think he is, he doesn't have the power to argue with the gubernatorial one. He gets thrown out of the ring, and his car is towed away for good measure. Paul drags himself away from the arena bar, and yes, we saw him there, to team up with Norton and Stevie to face Conan, Luger, and a tall gentleman who appears to be one over the eight. He takes his time coming to ringside. Uh, Kev, you're supposed to be doing something different here. It's acting, yeah? And eventually gets in, and shows the cup he is carrying is empty. He then clotheslines all over the top rope and the bell rings. Come along now, everybody. Haven't you all got homes to go to? Hogan throws Buffer out of the ring. Must be revenge for that Hulk-mania stuff a while back. He brings out Horace, who it is now revealed to indeed be Hulk's real nephew. Some of the NWOites are called upon to join us, including Virgil holding the mic for him. He gives Horace the shirt off his back and then sacrifices him by beating him up. He wheels out the, if I do this to someone I love, what will I do to you, thing again, and here comes Warrior to beat people down with baseball bats, original, to no reaction. A giant choke slam and spray painting follow, as I really feel time should be up on this whole shebang very, very soon. Brett is out, and he feels inspired by Hogan's actions. <laughs> I'm not even sure his supposed number one fan, Smokey the Cat, believes that. He calls out the stupidest there is, was, and will be in Sting, and here he is. Yes, we are doing this now, six days before the pay-per-view. Sting gets the scorpion near the ropes. Brett grabs the ropes, but the scorpion ain't gonna let go. He only releases when Stevie and Vincent show up, but he dispatches off them easily as the show stumbles to a very flat and anticlimactic end. But hey, look what's next. Okay, that's all the TV's done for. Adam, there's no point trying to fight it. Are you ready for this, my friend? Are you ready for this?
1: Oh, I suppose as I'll ever be.
0: Because this is the night when good battles evil. You do know that, don't you?
1: By good battles evil, do you mean... Uh... The good matches try and win out and <laughs> struggle because there's only
0: one. And um, we, we will indeed discuss whether that one match is successful or not. Take a wild guess, listeners. Uh, Adam, run us through the results of Halloween Havoc 98.
1: Chris Jericho defeats Raven by submission for the WCW World Television Championship. Wrath defeats Ming. Disco Inferno defeats Juventud Guerrero. Disco Inferno defeats Juventud Guerrero for the number one contendership for the Cruiserweight title later that evening. Alex Wright defeats Fit Finlay. Perry Sasson defeats Lodi. Billy Kittenman successfully retains against Disco Inferno. Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell defeat the Giant and Scott Steiner for the WCW Tag Team titles. Rick Steiner defeats Scott Steiner. Scott Hall gets a count-out win over Kevin Nash. Bret Hart successfully defends the United States title against Sting. Hollywood Hogan defeats the Warrior. Goldberg successfully defends the WCW title against Diamond Dallas Page.
0: So then, Adam, your thoughts, if they are in any way articulatable.
1: Um, I don't know. I,
0: <laughs> Quite. <laughs>
1: I think the basically knowing I was going to have to watch Hogan Warrior just put me in a really, really foul mood for this show. And I was just watching it thinking, why am I doing this? Why? Um, And yeah, nothing, I don't think anything could have uh, turned me around. I've actually watched, since watched a couple of these matches in isolation, and they're slightly better than I remember, but so but yeah i've actually got a couple of points in my notes just the words i'm not in the mood for this and i truly believe it's because i knew i had to watch um the <laughs> warrior at some point <laughs>
0: No escape, eh? Absolutely no escape whatsoever. It cost Mm. a pull over this entire event. It cost a pull over the rest of my life and it only took place four or five days ago after recording this. I don't think I'm ever going to be quite the same again, to be perfectly honest with you. So if anybody out there is listening and they do plan on sticking with with the long haul, no, I am going to be getting the Vince McMahon treatment. Both these guys might never be the same again. That will definitely be the case for us after watching Hogan versus The Warrior, which might very well indeed have been not only the worst match, In the entire history esteemed ish history of this particular project it might well be the ultimate uh low point for the entire industry and we will get there when we get there because try as we might we will have to get there there was another event here including a very important title match which i did really quite like Really, we all know why you're here, but we're going to make you wait just a little while longer. Trust us, we're doing you a favor. But as is customary, we're going to go to the pay per view match by match by match. Well, the set looks good until you see that the gargoyle holding the pumpkin looks like he is battling against the puncture. Our usual three are on the call. Sadly, no false teeth or bold caps for any of our team this time. Ah, now, now, now Bobby has put on a mask. Straight out of a budget set of Christmas crackers, but you take what you can. After a cameo from the Nitro Girls, we still have to wait for our opening match. (laughs) I'm sure that won't come back to bite them, as we get an interview with Rick Steiner. Have they not worked this one out yet? Tonight, it's the hound in the pound, and I'm gonna get down. Bagwell comes out quickly and says we are all sick of Big Papa Pump. He offers to be in Rick's corner tonight, and the crowd have already cotted onto that one. Stupid Rick stupidly says yes, the big stupid. And following an interview, what better way to continue, sorry, start a pay-per-view than with a heel-heel match. Yes, it's Raven versus Chris Jericho for the TV title. Raven makes reference to his losing streak, but he's just a victim of circumstance. Shoot. As he wasn't even scheduled to wrestle tonight, he decides to take a walk instead. But that doesn't bother Jericho, as the Holics won't get to see him wrestle. Especially as he equals butts in seats, buy rates and rock and roll. Jericho goads him into the ring with the old loser of doom. And here we go. He grabs Raven's jacket and whips him with it, followed by an early come on baby for two. Raven recovers with a clothesline over the top. that gives Chris a gourd buster onto the propped up steel steps. Ouch. The steps hang around for an assisted drop kick too, as Jericho lands nastily shoulder first. Raven poses, but back in Jericho to- tosses Raven neck first into the ropes. And there's our pop-up drop kick. Press attempt from the apron, but Raven dodges and Jericho eats the steel. Trademark. The Lionheart then reverses an Irish whip, though, and it's Raven's turn to get guard railed. Yeah, I said guard railed. It's my show. It's my verb, damn it. In the ring again, and then Raven does the eye gouge. Sadly, he doesn't do the hammer lock. What for the teenagers there? But he does do the sleeper. Jericho is easily out with a side suplex and a senton. He undoes the turnbuckle pad, but that just plays Chekhov's gun for a while until Raven hits a powerbomb. Then we get the whip into the buckle, and that scores a close two. They whiff on a sidekick but get away with it with a swift belly-to-belly for a Raven 2. Standing switch rolls right into the lion tamer. Lovely stuff. And Raven is able to get to the rope. The fans are really starting to get into this now. Uh, We pause for a little while so Raven can hit the even flow, but only for a 2. Sharp roll-up by Jericho for 2 and the same off a choice German suplex. Canyon pops up and Chris gets whipped into him on the apron, but Raven cannot nail the even flow a second time. Jericho again pulls it into the Lion Tamer, and Raven submits faster than Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam 91. Adam? Uh, yeah, it was a good match between these two. Um,
1: didn't these two have a match just a couple of weeks ago? Um, I'm just throwing it out there, because a lot of the underscore on on this show seems to be... Uh, Kind of rematches from the last two or three weeks of like Nitro and Thunder. Um, I like both these guys. These guys, great talents. Um, the fact we had to wait nearly ten minutes for this match to start it irritates me because it's a wrestling pay per view, which is, you know, not a wrestling TV show. So why they're doing interview segments, Nitro Girl segments before the first match? I, I don't know. Ridiculous. Um, Although interestingly, two out of the two out of the three nitros leading up to this, uh, it was nearly ten minutes before they ran the credits. So, um, yes, I sat there and signed that. Um, that that's where my mindset was.
0: <laughs> it's, it's finished, you, has not it, Adam? It's finished you completely. You're a, a shell of a man. <laughs>
1: um, I said it. I said it on previous pods, but I'll say it again here. Well, the guy who's challenging for the title uh, recently lost a world title match. So, therefore, the lower car titles are not being treated as achievements. They're being treated as consolation prizes, um, which does them no end of good, I'm sure. Uh, actually, um, completely unrelated. Brilliant match the Jericho had with uh, Finley on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of weeks before this went to a time limit. draw, well, that would have been... If Finley wasn't booked on the pay for you, I'd love to see a rematch of that here. Um But yeah, they're doing a losing streak gimmick with Raven, which... What does that ever achieve? That That's never a good thing. I mean, if it was ECW and Raven had, you know... A creative control in it. I'm sure it would be something that would work out well for all of us. But I'm not holding up that much hope here in WCW because um, I've I've tried. I've had hope for things in the past, and it's never worked out well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a good match between the two. I remember thinking it odd when Raven tapped out quickly, but Giovanni Pointed out that last time he was in a submission hold, he, he sort of uh, enjoyed it. So it is a sign it's all tied in with this, with whatever direction they're taking him right now. Um, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm preparing for the worst with this. Uh, but I mean, the match itself, great match.
0: Yeah, uh, to paraphrase somebody famous, about <laughs> somebody famous. A losing streak gimmick is the last refuge of the scoundrel. And I think that's what we're getting here with Raven. They don't really know what to do with him. I don't think anybody in World Championship Wrestling really understands his character. Certainly not anywhere near to the degree that Paul Heyman did. And it does show the flock of disappeared. Kidman is becoming the breakout star of that particular group now. And Raven's just bumping along, spinning his wheels. But he's still giving effort in the ring and outside of the ring. And I thought these two wrestled a really smart match, considering they've been booked, obviously, here, heel against heel. They just went for it, and they won the crowd over. People who were, let's face it, came along to boo both of these guys, got them really into it with stiff shots, clever use of weapons. It wasn't just an out-and-out and out plunder fest. They sort of really got those out of the way early, really, which I did quite appreciate. I don't think a straight hardcore garbage brawl would really have helped. Well, it could just really be me talking, because after three years of being on this project. I don't need to see another bin lid shot as long as I live. Some really smart wrestling here as well. I thought the standing switch into a line tamer was a great spot. And Raven held his own on that one too. It was not all Jericho. Scott Levy has never been a particularly great wrestler. I think even he would tell you that himself. But if there are going to be some sort of changes to the Raven character, and he's not just going to be A weapon-based brawler and i don't think he's really going to be that if he hangs around in world championship wrestling then at least try to show something in the ring and when you think about it if he is doing a losing streak gimmick being somebody who can actually win matches by trying to wrestle his opponent to the mats the direction they could possibly go i hope they do Yeah, solid match jericho is a star he didn't really bring his absolute a game on the mic or even in the ring here but he didn't need to i think these two did enough in a rather invidious position and uh, full props to them for opening this particular show. They did, not rep- they did not have any reason to reproach themselves whatsoever. They will leave that for other people later on. Speaking of which, Hulk Hogan is here already. Led out by Eric Bischoff, who has clearly had a rather nasty run-in with a lawnmower. This is the usual verbal fillet show from Bischoff. Terry then says, I could give you the Gettysburg Address. Yeah, pal, don't pretend you don't wish you were the one who delivered it. But instead, he says, but even then, he still yarns on for what feels like a lifetime. Not a single person cares about what happened to Horace last week, but we get to relive it once more anyway. Later on tonight, Warrior will find out what I'm all about. <laughs> in this case, I really wish you had just told me rather than showed me. Too many interviews already. Let's get to another match. Okay, Roth versus Meng. This could be a scrap. Meng won't even let Roth get in the ring at first, so he just pulls him under the rope instead. Hey, brawn and brains, huh? Some brief brawling out there until Meng rams his own head into the buckle. I decide to say nothing on that until Roth gets a second rope clothesline for a two count. Nice shoulder block. Early go for the meltdown, but Meng rolls away. And then the kick of fear, I didn't know it was actually called that, gets a two count. They exchange fists and knees. Well, not literally. That would be weird even at Halloween. With Meng getting the better of it, of course. A good belly to back suplex gets two. Roth with a sunset flip. But men... Sorry, I'll try that again. Roth tries a sunset flip. Much like me, he had very little success because Meng attempts and gets the death grip. Roth fights out and hits an uranagi slam, but he doesn't get a three count. That's what the other guy does on the other channel. But Roth, though, fights to put the meltdown on, and after the struggle, he is able to do so, and that is good for the victory. Adam, they're keeping it simple with Roth, but it's working. Yeah,
1: he's uh, he's certainly getting a bit of a reaction, and it's nice to see someone who... I mean, I know he had a WWE run, but it wasn't exactly all that memorable. Um, it's nice to see them doing something with someone who, who then, who's new to the fans. I mean, obviously, you know they did it with Goldberg, and it works out quite well for them. But that was, but I think that was partly fan driv- driven. They seem to uh, be liking Wrath, uh, even. Also, do you know it's right at the start of the match. Uh, he was attacking Meng's head, and Meng was selling it, making him the only person to ever do damage to a Samoan skin.
0: <laughs> That's why um, I made no mention to the turnbuckle spot. Yes, see, put the title on Roth. Now he's he's, he's done the impossible.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, he's it's a, it's a fresh face. It, like I said, he it didn't have a particularly memorable WWE run, so he's. Uh, so yeah, it's someone who can go up the card who fans aren't already sick of. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll keep this guy uh, quite strong for a while because nothing else it'll give uh, some opponents for either the NWO or maybe turn him and you know he can maybe chase Goldberg if he's still the champion after. After Nash, but I mean that maybe just thinking a bit too far ahead. Um, not something you know, WWE creative is, is known for. But yeah, I mean these two—they had the match they should have had. It, it was just the right length, um, and the right guy won.
0: I'm
1: I'm not complaining about this match. It was in in the right place, and everything happened the way it should do.
0: Yeah, it was fine. Meng did his thing. That's always going to be his role now. I'm not going to try and be the person to try and tell him differently. who <laughs> is rightly or wrongly, he would respond. <laughs> we all know how he would respond.
1: Yeah, I think Meng in WCW is a lot better than uh, when he was Haku in WWE. They, in, in WWF. Yes. Um, He certainly seemed to... Uh, to have actually managed to make him come across a lot more dangerous. Never felt that so much with him uh, when he was, you know, opening WrestleMania 4 or 5 or whichever one it was. He he just seemed to be just another guy there. WCW certainly seems to have brought the monster out of him.
0: Opened WrestleMania 5 against Hercules. There you go. My knowledge of the early WrestleMania is coming to the fore yet again. (laughs) I think you might call that useless knowledge, but hey, pub quiz, pub quiz. Yeah, this match was fine. Meg did his thing, and Roth did his. Very simple thing which people are enjoying. I seem to remember not so long ago, some other bloke who was fairly limited in the ring, but really quite well built, like the proverbial tank. Two big power moves and one lots of matches. Didn't turn out too badly for him. But of course, the difference there is that that guy, we had no idea who he was. Here, obviously been around for a few years, the former Adam Bomb, the Survivor always oh, still cracks me up this 1993 WWF The Survivor of the 3 Mile Island nuclear disaster. The whole point is that 3 Mile Island was uninhabited, but details details. His finisher is still called the meltdown because they don't want to lose that gimmick, quite completely. Yeah, he's getting over. People are cheering this guy. He's winning matches with a big move. Wrestling doesn't always need to be rocket science. Sometimes people can be very guilty of trying to make it so. And I hold my hand up on that. Here, big fella winning matches. Keep it going. More, please. Let's move on. Disco Inferno versus Hooven and The winner faces Kidman for the Cruiserweight title later tonight. Disco starts out strong with elbow smashes and kicks to the midsection and a pretty cool side slam. Hoovy back with hard chops and a head to a takeover. Disco seems completely unsure how to handle the hip toss flick leg up thing and just awkwardly dumps Hoovy off him. That clearly wasn't planned because they do it again with Guera getting the hip toss this time. Runner to the outside, and they both seem a little rattled in the early going. Inverted atomic drop and line by Disco. He then goes up, and after a shimmy, the fist drop connects, but very nonchalant undercover there, Jess. Chin lock time. After a while, Hoobentude up with a flash roll-up for a quick two and then a spin kick. Next snap, and he calls for a springboard whatever, but Inferno walks away from that. He does take a slingshot crossbody by recompense, though. Lightning quick runner by Hoobentude, and he calls for the driver, but he can't get it yet. They share sort of counters until Disco executes a desperation neckbreaker. Delayed cover for a two. He breaks out the Macarena. Hey, you're only two years late, mate. And he almost gets pinned. Giant swing attempt, but Guerra is able to find a soft landing, if you get me. Suplex from a recovered Disco and he ascends the buckles. He takes so long, but Disco comes back into fashion and back out again. Then Hoovy throws him off. Flying body attack gets two and a big bulldog for the same. Disco pops out of uh, Disco pops out out of a driver try with a stiff pile driver and hooks the leg very tightly for a win nobody was expecting. Yeah, Adam, I didn't see that one coming. Hmm. They've been pushing Disco, but I was honestly thought we were going to get Hoovy Kidman Part Twenty here. Maybe I was just really hoping for it, but not the way it went.
1: No, I'm just. I don't know. I'm not sold on display. It's not that he's not a talented, he's a fine talent, but uh, I don't know, it's just...
0: It's a very mid-card gimmick, isn't it? And it's the same, mm-hmm. he hasn't changed for the last three years, he's the bloke who dances before he comes to the ring, and now in the ring. He was not like that, the early Nitros, and he's still doing it now. No character development whatsoever, if indeed you can develop this sort of character, and therein lies the problem.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. I, just, I kind of switched off during this match. I sort of. I don't actually have any notes. Down. The only note no I have is that they did the um, internet thing with Kidman before and just have the words "Kidman lacks charisma." Um, <laughs> it's the good thing is talented in the ring because I cannot listen to this guy on the mic. Not good. Um, but yeah, I sort of was watching it and I just. I don't know. I mean, the whole point is this guy's been faking being a cruiserweight, and you, it would be, it would have been nice to have an actual cruiserweight shut him up. Although maybe that was the point of having him, uh, face Kidman later in the show. I, yeah, I don't know. This, this was just nothing much for me because it just, my interest just wasn't in
0: it. Yeah, they uh, they were struggling out there. This was not Hoovy's best night at the races, I'm afraid to say. He has been brilliant this year. He's well in the running. I'm going to say it now. He's a sleeper for wrestler of the year when we come to the awards in two months' time. He has been on an absolute tear since he lost his mask, which I find I mention that every month, but I find that a fascinating fact. But it wasn't happening here. I do think Disco has to shoulder some of the blame. He was struggling in the early going, as I said. Um two more intricate holes disco had no idea how to deal with them. he just sort of gave up early and Guerrero clearly got frustrated. Then it just sort of went through the motions. the finish also was a bit out of there uh, yeah it was it was fine I think being being a tiny bit harsh it was fine there was nothing particularly bad about it. It's just as good as a match with disco Inferno in can be even if it, even against a high echelon worker like Hoovy. he's no miracle worker. Part of the joke here is reality with me for Disco, him trying to make the weight to be a cruiserweight. He's simply not good enough to be in that division, as we will see again a bit later on. But he will face Kidman for that title later tonight. Yes, let's kill some more time, shall we? Big Papa Pump has a microphone. He can go 30 days with a freak on his left, a freak on his right, and one in a box. Moving swiftly on, he wants to take on those punks, Bagwell and his snivelling brother. He also brings along the Giants as his partner, and they'll even put the titles on the line. JJ is here. If they are so confident that if they lose the tag titles, Scott finally would get in the ring with Rick for 15 minutes, Scott acquiesces, and we have that very match and stipulation later. Match time again. Fit Finlay versus Alex Wright. Uh, Bulldog versus Alex Wright was the originally planned match here, but uh, I think Bulldog sustained an injury from the trap door. That the Warrior disappeared out of at four brawl last month, so uh, he's not in a good way. So Finley stepped in here. Wright does a few somersaults before we lock up. Fit though takes early control with a stiff arm bar, but Alex leaps out of it. Finley back with a good old elbow to the face, followed by some European uppercuts. The fans aren't into this one. Alex with a punch or two of his own, and that's a boring chance and no mistake. Next slingshot by Wright, but a quick closed line response. And he then holds Alex with his knees buried into his back off a catapult. That looked nasty. Scoop slam on the outside by Wright, but he gets dropped onto the safety rail soon afterwards. Sunset back in for one only and another uppercut. Flying body press by Wright and both men just about make it to the outside. Alex misses a missile drop kick back in, but so does Finley off a charge. Then a reverse neck breaker by Wright gets the three. Reverse neck breaker. Who needs Esperanto when you've got the go home sign? Well, Adam, that was a curious finish to a not-very-curious match.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, uh, I said it about Jericho versus uh, Raven. This is just a rematch from a TV match, I believe, on Monday. Um, a yeah, couple, mention...
0: couple of weeks ago on that show, yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, I uh, I did actually mention in the last pay-per-view, and the full brawl pay-per-view, the uh they were supposed to be switching rings between each of the matches. Um and you notice that that didn't happen. They only had that one they only had one match in that ring with the trapdoor door, but, Yep. And that was the match uh featuring David Roy Smith, which we which uh as far as I'm aware is where he injured himself. Um he did we have yeah, seen him it, since, but yeah, uh the match he had against Finlay he didn't he took the Tombstone, oddly, almost as if Finley was trying a bit too hard to protect him. So, yeah, hopefully he's uh, he's not in too rough a shape. But um, as for the match itself, well, uh, I do love Finley. There's it's just there's something just so believable about his matches, so sort of solid and hard hard hitting. Um, The right character oh is just... so this is essentially a three way feud isn't it um yep. these two and the bulldog and i've got it written in, throughout the month of, in my notes are all these guys heels i mean who is the baby face in this sort of three way feud am i am i missing that
0: bulldog is a face isn't he not but it really matters <laughs> i think he is see i i, I wasn't sure um but yeah, I, he was a face in the tag team match with Neidhart against Wright and Disco last month. I, I think, think I'm the only person I'm... in the world who remembers that match existed. But there you are.
1: <laughs> oh, I remember watching that match and thinking, "Would" and being not sure as to which way around it was. So that that shows how effective a face is. <laughs> um. Yeah, I. I'm not a fan of. Right, going over. i But then again, that's because I I really quite like Finley, so they seem to be wanting to do something with Riot. Um, I mean, the guy's fairly talented. He he may have some, there may be something to it. Um, I'm I just am not that sold on him. But maybe they can turn me around. Um, if they do the right thing with him. But again, it just comes. But I think the next week on Nitro. He, was teamed back up with Disco Inferno. It's a case, of, and it just seems to undo the last three weeks of him being a single. If he's just going to go back into a comedy tag team, it's a case of, well, do you want to we take this guy seriously or not? And at the minute, the answer is not.
0: It's just like with Disco in, in a way, his tag team partner, except Alex has one more year on the clock. Four years. Sort of Starcade 94, of course, against John paul Levesque. Whatever happened to that guy? And I still think Alex Wright is just treading water. He's never really got a sustained push. He's People who like him in the back, Ric Flair famously, even refused to actually beat him to end his, own, end his own undefeated streak in 95 because he was so keen on him. They even redid a finish, I think you'll find. But he's just the same Alex Wright he was four years ago. Dances to his music, has a couple of flashy moves. And that's pretty much it. Again, very few places you can go for character development without a complete overhaul. But I don't think an overhaul would really suit him. He's, he's one of these. He's he's wasted whatever you do. There are those kind of workers in every promotion. He's definitely WCW's example. But he is good in the ring. So you want to keep him around for at least that. This was a decent match. It, needed, it This was one of probably the one match that needed to be longer. I mean, I'm with you. Seeing Finley just doff people up is always a good time sadly he didn't really get much of an opportunity to do that here other than that sick looking catapult where he d- wrenched his knees right into alex Wright's back that can't have been fun at all Now that's the finley we want to see i'd much rather watch it than take it i assure you and the match ended out of nowhere with a fucking reverse neck breaker which i'm sad to say looks like is alex Wright's finisher going forward now this guy's got a lot of good moves flying body press give him that Reverse Neckbreaker ain't getting it done in late 1998. And there was a bloke holding signs, or it depends what organisation you're in. But Lodi, yes, Lodi is on a pay per view facing Saturn. Now this was meant to be Eddie Guerrero, but he missed his flight apparently. Uh, Saturn is now rocking a tough guy Army Ranger look, according to Tony. I think it's best not to. I think it's best not to ask questions, don't you? Saturn is right into it with arm locks and a hammerlock. Lodi immediately runs away to grab more signs. He knows what's important in life. Back in and he gets pasted with a running knee and a leg sweep. He calls for another timeout and brandishes a Lodi likes Texas sign. Saturn with a suplex as Taney recalls the slave storyline between these two that everybody else had long since consigned to the dust heap of history. Overhead belly to belly and a T-bone and a corkscrew vertical and a DVD and our lead commentator calls it total domination. I would like to think he meant that one. Adam, I kept it brief. I think it's probably best that you do the same here.
1: Uh, I didn't realize this was supposed to be Guerrero originally. Um, yep, that would make that would make more sense as to uh, why there was no build to this feud
0: because I was like, and well, they did have that match on Nitro the next day, actually. So yeah,
1: because uh, yeah, this um, this just seemed like uh, the full stop at the end of the whole uh, flock thing where. Saturn was uh, Lodi's slave, and this. And I was thinking, okay, well, this would make sense to end it if they're actually really built it, because um, Lodi's been showing how, that he wants to get back on par on terms with Raven. But yeah, they've, no, they've done no build towards why what the, this match would mean. So I don't know. It was, but it was a match. It was not offensive Um, both these guys they know each other fairly well and yeah they I would would say they're pushing Saturn but I don't know if that's the right term he's winning a lot on TV against people who aren't really that relevant so it's not really a push it's just he he's not going down the card but at the same time he's 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 not as hot as he was because he's not facing anyone of any relevance. And this could have been something not so much to set him alight, but it could have been something that, you know, slowed him cooling off. And it wasn't uh, because it was just a last minute thing. And and yeah,
0: it was fine, but nothing more than that. Yeah, just fine. Saturn's just there at the moment. Uh, I quite like that he is there. He can be called upon if needed. I don't think he's ever going to be anything more than, here it comes again, everybody, the dreaded good hand. Not going to be challenging for world titles anytime soon, but he's always somebody who's going to give you a good, watchable match, somebody I you can transfer.
1: It's a shame, because well, I think he potentially could be a good challenger as well, Um if pushed right. He had match of the night at, the, at full rule, but yeah, they've just Put him against no one of any relevance since.
0: I still, yeah, I, I still don't think he's a, in the A grade of workers and WCW. He's very solidly in the second tier. I still think he needs to be in there with people in the top level. We all know who they are to really get the best out of him. I don't think he's a fully rounded worker, but he's certainly good enough and deserves better than scrub matches with Lowly. That's for certain. Speaking of scrubs, is Disco again going for the White title against Kidman? Hip toss by Disco, but Kidman back with his tremendous drop kick. Drop toe hold by Kidman, and he switches up into an armbar. Kip up on a head spike and a rolling head scissors, which can only mean some big stomps to capitalize with. Disco hits back with the drop toe hold two, which Kidman takes face first on the bottom rope. And of course, they're actual cables, so that was no pleasure, Cruise. Hard whip to the buckles. He tells Billy to turn the music down and he lowers the boom so Kidman can crash to the outside. Kidman back with the twisting bulldog after using the steps for leverage. I hope the steps get a good payoff today. Splash by Kidman gets Matt and Matt only, but Disco's pin is good for two and two only. Another chin lock is bait for a Disco sucks chance. Up into a big flapjack and more kicks in the corner. Side suplex can't get it done. Show me something, you punk. Now that is where Kidman should have responded, Disco sucks. Yes, it's the Jokes 20 Years Ago podcast, everybody. Disco shucks and jives again and misses the axe handle attempt. Short powerbomb by Kidman wins a two count, as does an excellent power slam. Disco holds the ropes on a drop kick and looks for a pile driver. He gets it on the second try, but this time he can't cover instantly. The delay results in a two, and he can't believe it. Suplex reversal, and Kidman executes his version of an acid drop, but Disco is back on top with a front suplex. He goes for the pile driver again, but Kidman can reverse it to a face buster. That set up the shooting star press, and the champ takes it. Yes, we saw two disco inferno matches today, Adam. But at least he lost this one.
1: Hmm. The thing is, he faced uh, Huvig. Yeah, he faced Huvik the next night on Nitro. The yes. previous night, he'd, he'd faced Rey Mysterio. It was just a case of here's what you could have won. Like,
3: <laughs> oh,
0: no, no, no we, we we got those for free. We had to pay to suffer. Just, oh, only, only the best on this show, huh? I <laughs> mean, um, uh, Kidman's
1: actually—they're doing, they're pushing Kevin quite hard on um I think I mentioned, might have mentioned it briefly on last month, but um, obviously, uh, with the flock thing, they—they they were going to make him the breakout star because he was the first one uh, to turn on Raven at. Full rule. What I'm like didn't give him any sort of build up to the cruiserweight win. It's just a case of he's out the flock and now he's the champion. Um, I I mean, it would be nice to see him chase the title, but the way the cruiserweight title's booked, that would have probably have just done more damage than good because uh, no one believes that the cruiserweight title is worth chasing. You either are the champion or you're not um, which is a shame because it would have because if it was something worth attaining then the chase could actually have done um, as much if not more than him holding the title right now is doing for him uh, but yeah he's, he's he's doing quite a lot of good defences this is this wasn't really one of them Um and then he faces the guy who... And then he faces Hoovey on the next night, which is the guy who lost the number one contendership match. So Hoovey literally lost his way in, into a title match. And, <laughs> it, and not only that, it was in his favor to lose that match, uh, to lose that number one contendership match, because it meant he wasn't having to, to go twice in one night. Crazy. Um, but I'm trying to find... Logic in WCW booking, and
0: um, that's defeated better men than me, I'm sure. <laughs> many have trialed, many have tried, many have failed. Adam, trust me, I was one of them once, and I gave up very early. This was a better match than the previous one. I thought Kidman seemed more comfortable working with Disco for whatever reason. I think Disco himself just seemed to up his own game a little more here.
1: I think, but, um... yeah. I think because... it's Kidman's more of a westernised worker. Uh, yeah,
0: American. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's more
1: of an Americanised worker, whereas sure. Poobie, um is a luchador. Kidman, although he does a lot of the flying, he is still an American, so it's it's not so much of um, a gear change for disco. Um, so it, it does it playing to the style that he's, he's familiar with whereas uh, Luchador is such a different style.
0: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. If
1: it's it's not something you're used to doing. So, yeah, I think that's why this was a better match, just because it's it's something uh, Disco didn't have to adapt so much to.
0: I do think he was trying to keep himself in the shop window a bit here as well. Say in a losing effort, hoping that people backstage were still watching so he can still go for this prestigious, prestigious title if he ever gets put back into it again. Uh, and I, I say, I take no pleasure in criticizing the Cruiserweight title because the guys who go for it are all uniformly superb. Really enjoy watching them. But let's face it, as you say, you can lock your way into winning it, you can lose your way into winning it. And no belt should ever, ever, ever have to undergo that particular treatment. So listen to Volume 2, which we actually recorded yesterday, by the way, listeners, if you haven't already. Our boy Chris White goes on an epic rant about the importance of the world title in that one. So just transpose that 90% of that to the Cruiserweight title, and I think you've got my thoughts on this one, yeah. Better match, too much disco, 25 minutes of pay-per-view time for a one-note gimmick character. No need whatsoever. A kid when somebody else was had another very strong year, kept the belt here, and he did deserve to. Okay, quite a long piece of business here. Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell versus Scott Steiner and Giant for the tag team titles. We get two matches, of course, but I'll take them in one. Giant is smoking again, so you know how motivated he is for this one. Rick and Giant start out, which, of course, the recipe for the hearty meal of clubbing blows. Atomic drop and suplex by Giant, and he tags in Scott. He goes right after Rick's shoulder and dumps him outside. Shots by Giant, and it's another punch fest. Crowd rally the prone Rick, and he obliges with the corner punches. Solid closed on an elbow, but Buff wants the tag, and yes, there's the turn again. Here's Tony on commentary. There are, th- there are those out there who expected this. Yes, Tony, we call them human beings. The audience are just done with this nonsense now, and they start chanting for Goldberg. Buff has run off at this point. Scott and Giant just more Rick for ages. The dog-faced gremlin has a little fight left in him, but once more, it's his low blow time. He holds Rick up for a giant top rope drop kick. He connects with Scott instead, and this could just be interesting. He gives Giant the bulldog. One, two, three. Yes, he did it. He won the tag team belts and gets the match with his brother, who of course attempts to take a powder, but Rick has to go for it now. Scott tries to beg off, but we're way past that, and Rick just beats the tar out of him. And hey, the crowd like it, so why not do this eight months ago? Tree of Woe pinfall, but only one there, and another sodding low blow. Scott now assumes the brunt of the match and cue the silence. Just give the people what they want. Ah, a power slam by Rick. That's more like it. And the belly to belly. He goes for a pin, but a fan wearing a Bill Clinton mask is here. He hits Rick with the slapjack Steve he gave him and reveals himself as Buff well, Bagwell. The bell rings, but Rick still kicks out a two anyway. Okay, then. Frankensteiner off the top, at, at, at the top, and another pinfall and another two. Still some fighting Rick and he sees off Bagwell. Steiner Bulldog. Nick Patrick in. Three count. At last, at last, at last, at last we got there. Rick Steiner pins Scott Steiner. Eight months, Adam. Eight bloody months. <sighs>
1: um Yeah, the the one on one segment was was the match we should have got? I mean, I only won like five minutes as opposed to the 15 we were promised, but it was still aside from the buff Bagwell interference, the match the two put on was actually the match that we wanted eight months ago. Um, what else can I say about this? Um, apparently quite a lot looking at my notes. Um, was this no disqualification the whole thing because there were seemed like three or four low blows in a row in that match. You know when you're just thinking is the is the referee on something? Um
0: I don't remember hearing a no DQ called but it might as well might as well have been. God, I'm so sick of fucking low blows now.
1: <sighs> um my first note is his Buff healthy, but he barely was in the match, so I'm guessing no. Um the turn who didn't see that coming is exactly is the exact thing I've written down. <laughs> um, apparently, Tony Schiavone and the rest of the announcers, and and you've got to feel bad for those guys because it's like because they're, they're just some of the things they do, they're employed just to look like total tools.
0: Um, and they succeed through no fault of their own.
1: Yeah, it's a shame because. a lot of their announcers, they've got some really good announcers there. Um, I have... Why is he still going? Um, That was basically because he's on... he, He was on his own for the tag team titles, and logically if he won the match, he would have had to pair up with Buff still, despite the fact Buff turned on him. And so I was like, why is he still going with this match? But of course that was so he could face his brother at the end, but it's just... But the whole thing just seemed ridiculous. Also... Scott Steiner not a tag team champion just going to throw that out there the only um, the only other time that these tag team titles have been defended in the last 2 months prior to this show uh, was saturday night the week before uh, they did night of champions well they called it the night of champions i mean goldberg wasn't on there because you know he's he's saved for the big shows like when he defeated canyon Uh, on an episode of Thunder for the WCW title. Um, So, yeah, they did this Night of Champions, which was headlined by the tag title defense, where Scott Hall defended them on his own (laughs) against disorderly conduct.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: Because, you know, Nash is the size of two guys, so he took on two guys um, who, of course... Are going to have flourishing careers. The fact that they couldn't beat to a half-cut wrestler two on one, I <laughs> um, I I've, I've see nothing but good things in the future. of Disorderly conduct. That's and that's the only tag title defense on TV and quite possibly on any WCW show uh, since early August. Um. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and. When the tag team titles get lost, it's not even both the champions who lose the match. Um And I mean, I've, and it's made worse by the fact uh, that obviously Steiner, rather than be a champion on his own, is teamed up with just the first jobber he saw. It seems uh, as he's uh, the next night on Nitro, he pairs up with Kenny Chaos, who. <laughs> I trouble is I'm more of a fed guy, so I I know I should I should probably look into who that is if if you're going to have me on more and more of his shows. But I really didn't care, because he's another jabroni from a tag team uh, that's currently on on hiatus due to the other guy having an injury. Um, But yeah, this like I said, the Steiner versus Steiner match is what it should have been back in like March or April or something. Uh they've dragged this on way too long. Um and I noticed around this point the crowd has really started dying off here. It um I noticed in this match, especially in in um, in the next couple of matches, crowd the crowd especially. The ones on the hard cam are really just reacting less and less um, as this show goes on, and I don't think that helped with this match. Um, the but also with the buff interference, um, does he have any credibility left as a cool heel after after they bring his mother in? That does anyone buy him as? Um, does anyone uh, want to, you know, boo him like he, like he's um, a credible member of the NWO, or, or is it just like, ah, oh, yeah, he's he's really nothing now? Um, I feel this whole experiment has just hampered his career. Whereas if he'd have come back as an all-conquering babyface um, and sort of tried pairing up with Rick Steiner, I feel. He could have been a lot better off, but again, logic in WCW booking is not something um I should go looking for.
0: Fool's errand. Um, let's keep it let's keep it simple. Buff should be a face. Thank God we've finally seen Rick Steiner beat Scott. I'm very glad the fans enjoyed it. And I want your ten thousand words on Kenny Chaos on my desk first thing tomorrow morning.
1: Um I've got one I've got one. <laughs>
0: it's almost there almost there okay hall and nash now they get the super dramatic video package treatment because of course they do in fairness it's a very good super dramatic video package but do you really think the two of them would allow anything else nash shakes his head all the way to the ring and this is a rare occasion where i empathize scott starts out fast with fists of fire and we spill outside early shoved to the ring post and then the microphone to their head Camera cable from the grip, that was a bit specific, Tony, is then used to choke Kev down, and they are trying to play up that Nash doesn't want to fight back. But at this point, I'm not sure the crowd really get that. Now it's hey yo time as Big Sexty's sudden cut gets looked at. He asks what it is like to see live through foggy eyes. I never had him down as a fan of beats happening. Nash crawls back into the ring and gets less than zero. Big Wolfpack chat, but it's only a slam for Kevin. Scott calls for the edge, but Nash does have enough to shove him off. The same goes for corner punches, and then he asks Hall to bring it. Corner and Nash still isn't really trying. Stop sniggering there at the back. Now he does with some whips and a sidewalk slam. They slug it out on their knees, which Kevin wins, but Hall has the wherewithal to escape a jackknife attempt. The wolfpack shirt finally comes off, and Nash does the Royal Rumble 94, come on, thing. Hall stares daggers at him as we reset with a series of lockups. Kev's power is too great for everything Scott can throw at him. He calls Hall a piece of shit, I think, then offers him another drink. How about a double? All of this seems just unnecessarily mean as Kevin kicks his corpse around. He is close to outright mocking him here, which brings back unpleasant Lawler v. Jake memories from two years ago. Scott with some pathetic punch attempts and there's the big boot. Some noticeable booze for Nash as he lets Hall get back up and now it's his jackknife time, or as Tony calls it, the jackhammer. Uh, force of habit, force of habit. No cover, though, because everyone wants one more. They get it, and now it's time to pin him. We get a crotch chop or three first, though, and um, Nash is going to walk away. Yes, he strides to the back and takes the count-out loss. Hall gets his hand raised whilst flat on his back, and don't think that I am going to comment on that one. Adam they were going for the story here rather than the in-ring action which is probably just as well but was it lost on the crowd i'm not sure i i got got it it was so, very subtle
1: wasn't it okay so nash is not a lot of it was nash not fighting back because he yes. doesn't want to hurt hall okay so why on the 5th of october did they go around all those bars and end up Beating up Paul in, in in the toilets. Yep. And then the Nitro before they had the six man where Nash was pretending to be drunk and then turned around in Dex Hall. Uh-huh. You can see you can understand you can see why I'm having issues seeing the logic behind this, right? Other than the fact it means Nash didn't have to take a pinfall loss on pay-per-view. Oh, sorry, am I not supposed to be thinking about it that way?
0: <laughs> you cynic, you. <laughs> it's, it's like at the, the Battle Royal at uh, Road Wild a couple of months ago, where Hall was eliminated. But Nash eliminated himself because he wanted to get at Hall so badly. <coughs> he wants to avoid doing a job. Sorry, carry on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm... The thing is, um, I'm... Big fan of war work,er and I saw flashes of the things that I enjoy about him in this match. But I don't. I I have no problem with matches that are more, you know, for building a story. But where's this one going? Are, are they building to to another one-on-one match down the line? I mean, is there going to be a big blow off, and if so, when? Because the next pay per view is World War Three, so that's not really a place to blow it off. And uh, we mentioned in the news they were looking at Nash facing Goldberg, so it's not going to be at Starcade, which would be the logical place for it. So, are they going to hold this over for three months, all at the same time, building to a title match featuring Nash? Um, so yeah, it's, where where are they going from here? It, It just seems they someone had this great idea about halfway through the month. Um, and we're just like, Oh, don't worry about that stuff we did on on the 5th of October, no one's going to remember that by then.
0: Maybe, but they put so much stock into that particular segment. I even missed out references to it when I was doing the live read of the 5th of October. They went back there about three or four times, took up a lot of TV time, so it was an important angle. Then, as you say, they've tried to tell the story where Nash doesn't want to hurt him, which I just don't buy. Nash didn't mind that in the tag team match either, did he? No. Yeah, Just too cute by half, I think. And again, this is on a pay-per-view where people wanted to see Nash beat seven bells out of him yet they got so cute with it, and use that word again, that Nash was even getting a few boos towards the end. It, it did just look like he was taking the piss out of the match. Oh, not as much as somebody else will take the piss out of the wrestling business a bit later on, but never mind. Taking the piss out of the match and out of Scott Hall himself. And yes, we all know their are buds backstage. That's not the point. It's what's being presented before us here. And I thought this was, again, much like the horseman mocking segment a year ago just a little bit too mean spirited and a little bit too assured of itself and patting itself on the back just a little bit too much this went 15 minutes I think they are just about capable of having a straight up 15 minute match
1: good, good matches uh, like 94, 95 yep. couple of good matches,
0: Superstars match when Nash won the IC title, SummerSlam 94 was good too, they've got it in them and the devil within me would probably like to see it one more time, but as you say I don't see where it fits into the schedule now they tried to have Hall get some heat back by throwing Nash through a wall on Nitro the day after this, but I don't see where the na- next match is coming from, I'm with you, especially if Nash is going for the belt at Starcade, which a lot of sources have it One more thing on this, which is just too clever by half. I thought the commentary team, they did their best throughout the night, but they blotted their comic book quite badly here, which had Tony and Mike putting over the outsiders, saying how wonderful they were, saying, I've got some quotes here, they revolutionized the sport, almost being nostalgic for them. These are the same people who try to put them out of business in kayfabe every single week for the last two years. How quickly we forget. How quickly we forget. Speaking of which, it's Bret Hart versus Sting in October 1998 for the US title. Just how many things are wrong with that sentence. Bret emerges to yet more new music and it's no less horrendous than the others. It tries to be like his 94-97 one without being anything like it. And yeah. Far be it from me to cast aspersions on the intelligence of your average wrestling fan, but we see a sign in the crowd which reads, Sting, give him the score a and you thought Brett with two T's was bad. Brett stays outside the ring as the stinger has the bat in his hand. The ref takes it off him, but the hitman is doing everything by the Gennaro here one-on-one book nowadays. Stalling and lots of it. Sting can wait no longer and slings him in. Big punches in the corner and a whip to the other corner. Inverted atomic drop, that's again, and a two count. Brett hits back with some nice punches, always undervalued, always undervalued in his arsenal, in my opinion, and a DDT for two. Clothesline down and Brett soaks in the Hitman Sucks chance. Headbutt to the groin and the Dickensian headlock. He really does make that move mean something. Sting fights out as the crowd briefly go with him. Running bulldog as a lot is going on, but nothing is really happening. Sting catches a cradle for two, but he pays with a Russian leg sweep. Brett misses the drop kick, which allows Sting to get the scorpion on. Sorry, the scorpion. Hart scrambles to the ropes and this time Sting does let go. Brett favours his knee. He must have turned to page two of the heel book. And then page three, as the illegal object is in his hand. A rope by Sting causes him to drop it. He takes it, but as the ref tries to take it off him, we have yet another low blow. God, I need to start wearing a cup just to watch this stuff. Elbow from the second rope gets a two for the pink and black. He dumps the Stinger to the outside and puts the boots to him. He beats Sting on the apron, and out of it, he accidentally nails the ref. Brett then elbows him all too intentionally and now Sting has woken up. One corner punch before Brett gets the foot up and this thing now has no real structure at all. Brett gets caught and crushed going up and now superplexed by Sting, which actually connects with refs Billy Silverman's legs. Sting goes for it all but gets caught up on the ropes and then Brett is able to waffle him with a clearly foam-covered baseball bat. He nails him from the second rope too. Brett revives the ref and now puts the sharpshooter on. This one is going to end by arm drop stoppage. What a waste. What a waste. Four years ago, we would have got our action figures and we would have lived out this match in our bedrooms morning, noon, and night. But this is the reality. And not for the first time this year. Adam, involving Bret Hart, the WCW dream, has died yet again. I think he's only got seven lives left, if he's lucky. Uh, I don't see...
1: What happened with this one? It um and it didn't help. Like I said, the crowd at this point was really just nothing They weren't really reacting to anything, especially the ones on um on the on the floor in front of the hard cam. Um, this whole this is this was built up as a U.S. I say built up. This was for the U.S. title. It was it, the U.S. title wasn't really featured in. In the build up to this, at all, there was, um, you know, this, it was just there because Brett's the champion. It wasn't what either men were sort of shooting for. And it's just, which really does that title no, no favors whatsoever. Um, And the fact that for a title match, you have your champion going out first, (sighs) bookings 101. You should never do that. There yeah, is no situation where your champion go is the first one to the ring. Um, any anyone who books matches should know this, but that that just put me on edge to start with with this whole match. Um, you said again about all the low blows that we use it. That we used again came up in this match. Um, and I don't know what it was about this match, but it just really didn't grab my attention. Like the uh, V disco match, just nothing. Um, and how long did it take that referee to see that foreign object? It's not like they were <laughs> hiding it at one point. Um, you know, Brett got knocked down with it on his hand. Sting looks down, picks it up, puts it on his hand throws Brett into the corner goes for the punch and then the referee notices it uh, um and I don't know what I, what to make of the finish um again are they is this supposed to finish here are they are they looking for a rematch um that is a shame because that match they had a couple of weeks ago Wilson well, match but the segment they had on Nitro. Um, that I really thought played out really well with, um, you know, Brett. I, from the you know Brett coming out, taking the sunglasses off and putting them in the sunglasses case, I thought that's just brilliant psychology you only see from someone like Brett. Um, and the whole thing backstage, I thought they did that really well. Um, I, you know, it was, sort of got me into it. Um, and then between that and this, they did themselves no favors. They had uh, the challenge, uh, Brett making a challenge on Thunder, and then Sting not really answering it, and it was just this like they wrote this really good, sort of solid first chapter. I mean, well, it, I mean, you had a bit last month. Um, with the Brett Hogan Sting set up as well and it, up to that um, segment they had on Nitro it was really well written and then it was like oh we've still have three more weeks of television um, and they were just throwing stuff at the wall and it's just nothing works and yeah um, this match was just really really not that good and um, Especially considering the caliber of the two guys in it, um, and considering what they what was following them, um, I'm guessing the I'm guessing maybe they felt we've got to bring the crowd down in some way, otherwise uh, the next match isn't going to make it out the building. Um, but yeah, I've. I was just really hoping for better from these two.
0: You mentioned the match they had on Nitro, which was the week before this, actually. And at the time, I thought, what are they doing giving this away a week before the pay-per-view? But it gave everybody what they wanted to see, which was a hot, short match between these two, which ended with Sting locking on the Scorpion. Yes, okay, the decision was eventually reversed because he wouldn't let go of it. But do you really think anybody in the crowd cared about that? No. They just wanted to see the good guy, put the bad guy in his finisher and make him suffer. And that is what happened. And they did that very effectively on TV. So where do you go on pay-per-view in what should be a dream match, which again has been years and years in the making, but it's come along again. I repeat, at least four years too late. Brett is there in body but not in mind. We all know where his mind is. It's a couple of thousand miles north. I think it always will be. Is there hope? I feel like every time I say how bad Brett's situation is, at the end of each month, I think, but, 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 but. That's rather hope rather than reality. But the day after this, he dropped the US title to DDP and beat him up again afterwards. So perhaps they're trying to heat him back up. I mean, Wei Keller in the torch still thinks we're going to be getting Brett Hogan at Starcade. I think there's a 0.5% chance of that happening. You're going to have to turn Brett again for that. And all these turns are doing him no favours either. So we'll see when we get there. But uh, I wouldn't die wondering there. This was a really drab match. Bumping along for the stupidly over-convoluted finish. The kind of which just doesn't suit either of these guys. Sting... He isn't really there now, but he was at his best at a smash mouth. Come on then, baby face. And Brett is the master of psychology. And here they are dicking around with knuckle dusters and foam baseball bats. I want to see thing drop the baseball bat thing now. It worked a year ago. Now he's this uncool, cool person, much like he's in the young ones or something, the one nobody can name from the young ones. (laughs) I can see him being a fan, actually. Anyway, And this was 15 minutes of what could have been A doozy listening to this. Don't pretend you haven't imagined these a real battle of the scorpion and sharpshooter. Imagine that in the summer of 1994 when Brett was at his apex and Sting was at his apex as well. Let's go back and watch some of Sting performances 93 94. Don't let history cloud the fact that he could get the job done when it was required. We call him one of the best baby faces of all time for a reason, but he is not that guy anymore. And Bret Hart is just not Bret Hart anymore. And then you get this, yet another waste in what has been a year of waste for poor old Bret Sargent Hart. But it's nothing $3 million a year, can't assuage. Is there any yeah, go, on, go on, yeah, because we can delay the next match for a bit. Go on, talk about anything.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, do you think that all the all the turns that put Bret Hart through...
0: Yeah, not um, help at has
1: all. Kill, ...has killed all his credibility? Do you Do you think yeah. that the fans believe anything about him anymore?
0: No. And I can tell, just look in his eyes, he doesn't believe it either. There is nobody who takes his craft more seriously in the world of professional wrestling than this guy. And if the light goes out in his eyes, then you know we've really, really got problems. And that is where we think we are. He wants to be Bret Hart the hero. We've discussed it many, many times on this show. And you can debate back and forth about whether he believes that too much. He probably does. But I still think he should be at the very least the number two babyface right now, Building towards that match at Starcade, but it ain't going to be against Hogan, sorry Wade. It ain't going to be against Goldberg, sorry everybody else. <sighs> the ultimate missed opportunity. We, we talk about Vader on the WWF show this month, but they really dropped the ball with him, the Federation. That's nothing compared to what WCW have done with the unmissable Bret Hart. But yes, what we see is very much what we get at the moment, and that is Bret not giving a fuck. (sighs) All right then, Adam. Are you just going to do this with just willpower? Do you have any assistance with you to get us through the next 20 minutes or so?
1: I'm thinking my nearest beer is probably
0: about 30 feet away. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is real grace of God stuff because we're providing a service to our listenership here. It would be very easy for us to skip over it, but you suffer through it, I suffer through it, Everybody listening to this show has suffered through it. So is mm. that coarse enough for us to avoid this? No, it's not. It's not. Mm. Nobody would ever forgive us if we missed it out. Okay, then. Hogan versus Warrior 2. Oh, God. Come on, Rory. You've done worse. <laughs> not on this show, you haven't. Hogan does the standard stuff, although even by his standards, he seems somewhat pleased with himself. Warrior follows to his his not-at-all-like-his-WWF-music-music. And now there is no going back. Everybody, hold me. Hogan spends a lot of time outside the ring, and I really wish he had kept it that way. He then says he's going to murder him. Well, if by him you mean the wrestling business, then this is indeed a cold-blood job. Warrior poses to 80% booze, and surely nobody thinks this is a good idea. Warrior with the first punch and off comes the coast. More stalling and circling until something approximating a lockup. A couple of punches and no Tony, this is not the time for full arm dragon twist. Hogan gets knocked down and then Warrior starts prancing like a pony. Copyright body Piper Summerslam 90. More outside the ring stalking from Hogan. He continues the same in the ring and now it is time to tease a test of strength. We've been there before. Hogan refuses this time, though, and it's all slaps and chokes in the corner. He then teases the test, but Warrior is already on his knees. Much like me. This goes on for an age or two as the boring chants start to gain traction. I genuinely think Warrior has forgotten how to power out of this thing. Arm-drag and twist again. crisscross again, but no, nobody moves this time. Instead, we get a Hogan body slam, which is no sold. Ah! And so Warrior pulls off one of his own closed onto the outside and some piss-weak brawling. Mike Tanay, yes, Mike Tanay, the professor, actually calls what we have had before, fine wrestling. I think he must be on something, fine, if you get me. A diabolical ref bump was Warrior was far too slow on dodging a shoulder tackle from Hogan, and he was out of position. Hogan had to effectively prod Patrick in the chest and knock him down. Giant and Stevie come out to save this. Yes, that's where we are but Warrior gets rid of them. Cover, but Patrick is still selling the love tap. Ref hopes to see Hogan get a two off another clothesline, and then yet more fucking chokes, and now it's time for the belt. This is so lifeless that the commentary team bide their time by describing what a weightlifting belt is for. They then praise Patrick for not calling for a DQ, but they're far, far wrong, <laughs> especially now as Hogan goes for three elbows and each time Warrior log rolls out of the way. And they can't even get that right as Hogan slips over him on the third try. Warrior misses a splash and now he has the belt. Hogan didn't present it to him this time like he did eight years ago. A few shots and then Patrick admonishes him. Sorry, I just can't stay calm for this bit. As this goes on, Hogan goes to the corner and manages to produce a bag holding fire making equipment. I wouldn't blame him if he were trying for self-immolation here, but he is actually trying to blind Warrior. But the flash paper element goes off way too early. It barely even left his wrist. Warrior sells it anyway, and I need death's warm embrace, and I need it right fucking now. A few strikes by Hogan to make up for it and fail, but Warrior hits back with an axe handle and clotheslines. Bischoff and Hogan are here, gluttons for punishment that they are, And then Horace is able to sneak in and blast Warrior with a chair for the three counts as Bischoff has the nerve to celebrate. Yeah, mate, this one's on you. Hogan embraces Horace and says that he passed the test. It must be one of those where you get 100 points for writing your name at the top of the paper. The defeated Warrior rides around in the ring as Hogan, Horace and Bischoff mug for the camera as they walk to the back. And we're called The Aristocrats. Stop!
1: Stop! He's already dead.
0: Adam Joyce. You signed up for this podcast a few months ago because you wanted to talk about wrestling from this time period. It is now October 1998. This is Halloween Havoc. This is Hogan vs. Warrior 2. And I'm afraid now, my friend, you, like I, it's time to take the lumps. You are now going to talk about Hogan versus Warrior 2, and you are going to enjoy it.
1: Um, interestingly, the first thing in my notes um, is actually nothing to do with the match. Um, as one of the... Uh, I think it was Warrior came down to the ring, there was um, a sign in that flashed up in the crowd, and it said Bischoff owns Flair. Um, and it was it just got me thinking, you know, they've built up... Um, I. It's not really been covered that thoroughly in the TV review, because we focus mostly on the pay view but Four Horsemen um, have had a lot of TV time. I'm just thinking, why aren't they here? Um, you know, they, they put on something much more entertaining, what we're about to watch right now. Um, even Mongo, I'd be prepared to Watch one of his matches, and um, so yeah, we've got uh, I'm so... <sighs> do, do either of these guys have any credibility left? At the last pay per view, Warrior was selling for Stevie Ray. At the pay per view before, we had Hogan selling for Jay Leno. <laughs> I, I mean, I think. We, I've knocked how this match has been sort of put together, but when you look at those two facts alone, it's the case of well, realistically, who else can they be put in the ring with and still have some level of credibility? Um, Warrior, I mean, he was in that in name only war games match. He didn't really do anything um, other than break out of the cage because apparently he couldn't disappear because despite the fact he appeared and disappeared because again, logic. Um And he was also in a tag match where he did very little um, and basically it seems to be he's done very little in the ring up till this match because he can't do anything in the ring and that's not by average standards. That's by his own standards. He's he looked clumsy and horrible and and i'm just glad that he wasn't in the ring with anyone who i enjoy watching because i'd be fearing for their safety not in a oh they might lose this in an oh they might get seriously hurt because he was really really reckless looking at some of the stuff he was doing at least some of the stuff he was hitting um You mentioned the the belt shots. Uh, Shivani, again, is being made to look like an idiot by saying how it was a big discussion about uh, the belts being used in Hogan's matches, but they're being allowed because they're part of his traditional ring gear. Um, I could go into how ridiculous that is, but I don't feel I need to. um, When when I saw Hogan busting out a lighter, I'm just like, well, they've already figuratively scorched the earth. Um, Why not? (laughs) Uh, um...
0: Scorched earth, I love it.
1: Yeah, uh, again, we have a bait and switch with uh, Horace Hogan, um, which... I mean, I'm guessing, means that the rather nasty chair shot he took from Hogan the week before was either one pulled or two. He was just prepared to take his lumps because as they say in Goodfellas, you know, sometimes you, uh, you just got to take them shots. Um, watching some of the parts of this match, I was flashing back to parts of their previous matches, but it's like uh, you know, I don't know if we've got any Metallica fans listening. Um, I, am one,
0: I'm, I am one such. I am one such.
1: You, so you may agree with me on this. Uh, the recent albums, Load and Reload. Yes. You would? Would you agree with me in saying that um they're kind of like a bad version of and Justice for All? Would you agree with me on that? Or at least you can kind of see where I'm coming from if, by stating that we. Is that too far out there?
0: So I go again. You you cut out during that. They're a good or bad? What? Sorry.
1: Uh, the load and reload are kind of like bad versions of and justice for all.
0: Uh to to a degree. I like a lot of load actually. Reload <laughs> is definitely the dregs and stuff yeah, like um... where the wild things are and attitude and bad seed. I like a lot of load, but I I get your point definitely.
1: Yeah. So that's that's what I felt like watching the bits of this match. Bits of this match that flash back to that WrestleMania match that it's just they're trying to do that match and are just doing it really really badly.
0: So Um, the match, so the match at WrestleMania six was Harvester of Sorrow, and this was Low Man's Lyric. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. (laughs) Hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, this this was. Three months they've been building for this, um, and I mean, it got. a... I can I can see what the logic was behind this. You know, there are a lot of people who are watching WrestleMania six who may not be watching wrestling now, and what and the idea of seeing those who go out again may bring them back. But they have done absolutely nothing in the build up to this to keep those people around if they were just sort of flicking on and saw Hogan and Warrior. And then they see Warrior appearing in a mirror. Uh, Warrior appearing and disappearing from the ring. And what was up with that? Um, him kidnapping Ed Leslie and then appearing with a what looked like a blow-up doll of Ed Leslie. I mean, who wants one of those? They, I'm not sure Ed Leslie's... Um, Ed Leslie's wife would want a blow-up doll of Ed Leslie. <laughs> Although, ironically, in in that segment, that doll showed more acting range than all of Hogan's movies put together. <laughs> um. Oh, I mean, this is this was just awful. Uh, I mean, Melzer gave it the minus five stars. Um, well, a lot of people don't realize the star system is only a four-star star system. You, you have to be, ex- you have to be amazing to hit that fifth snowflake. So, in theory, it is just a four-star uh, star system, which means the inverse, the minus star system, is <laughs> also only a four-star system. So, to do hit minus five stars, it's you are breaking the system. Um, and this match earned every one of those little snowflakes.
0: <sighs> okay, let's be realistic here. The Great Fire of London decimated the city, but it did give Samuel Pepys something else to write in his diary other than, woken up by the cat, shouted at mom, why won't Lisa go out with me? Okay.
3: Hmm.
0: Benito Mussolini was an evil fascist dictator, but the 821 to Milan was the 821 to Milan. In 1991, Rod Stewart gave us The Rhythm of My Heart, but in 1971, he gave us Mandolin Wind. Some of the most heinous acts in history, some of the most appalling events in history can, to some degree, be qualified. Light at the end of very dark tunnels. We have found the exception to that rule with Hogan versus Warrior Two from Halloween Havoc, 98. We are told by our teachers at school or college or university that when you're writing an essay, you do not use... Dictionary definitions of the term you have to write a 10,000-word essay on because it's cheap and lazy, and I agree. So I'm going to use the ones instead. This match was abhorrent, atrocious, awful, bad, base, beastly, contemptible, cursed, despicable, disgusting, foul, grim, gross, hateful, heinous, hellish, horrible, horrid, loathsome, lousy, nauseating, obnoxious, odious, offensive, repellent, reprehensible, repugnant, repulsive, revolting, rotten, sleazy, stinking, terrible, vile, and wretched. Did you get all of that? So I'm not going to go there again. I'm not going to give this match to satisfaction. Halloween Havoc main event last year was bloody terrible between Hogan and Piper. My exact words at the time were almost a disgrace to the profession. And I stand by that. But it was riotously entertaining. Almost entirely by accident. This wasn't entertaining. This match had no reason to exist other than to placate the... Very noticeable on his bold pate ego of one Terry Belayer. Him being the only person in the entire universe who cared enough that he lost a scripted match to the ultimate warrior eight and a half years ago. That he needed to bring him in, help get him in by some accounts in order so he could beat him again to solely get his win back. Hulk Hogan is the only person who cares about anything remotely like that. He tried to get WCW to sign Yokozuna in 1994 for the same reasons, for goodness sake. And I did feel a pang, the most minor pang of sympathy in my little toe for Warrior here, because I don't think he really wanted any of this. Even by his low standards, he looked in appalling shape. He had no idea, as you say, Adam, to do even the most of basic of simple moves. I mean, this is somebody who you could say, it's not much of an exaggeration, was really Mr. Pay-Per-View in the late 80s or early 90s. He didn't have many bad Pay-Per-View matches, you know. Here he forgot how to do anything whatsoever. And Hulk Hogan in 1998 is not the man to help him. Not that he would have cared anyway. Do you think Hogan was there to have even a passable match? You are kidding yourself. All he cared about was the outcome. It didn't matter to Hogan that he couldn't sell a clothesline. It didn't matter to Hogan that he couldn't start the flash paper. It didn't even matter to Hogan that he didn't win clean. The greatest entertainer in pro. anybody to name a pro wrestler, they say Hulk Hogan. And he here has cast all that to the flames, the flame that went off in his hand, just for the sake of entertaining nobody but himself. And I saw Eric Bischoff there in character. Yes, but on the apron raising his arms wide. When the three count was administered, I thought, yeah, this is what you've created, mate. This is the person who's playing you like a marionette. When you hold the microphone up for him to suck his own cock for 10 minutes on every single nitro, this is what you have let happen. This is Hogan's own ego. And oh yes, I'm going to say it running wild. In a way, the match quality doesn't matter because it was always going to be bad didn't think it was going to be this bad didn't think it was going to be minus five stars bad but again i care about that you care about that everybody who paid money to watch this match cared about that everybody listening to this show cared about that But at the end of the day hulk hogan does not care about that he has got what he wanted and we are the mugs for taking this pro wrestling shite as seriously as we do if this is how he is going to treat us then i ask us all now what is the point? If you somehow have avoided watching this match, then I applaud your sanity, but just give in to yourself. Set aside 20 minutes of your valuable time because I refuse to suffer alone, and I'm sure the people who bought this pay-per-view refuse to suffer alone as well. You owe it to yourselves to watch a match this bad, not only for the complete and utter absence of any ingring ring quality whatsoever, but for also what it represented. Hogan has been, I've said it a couple of times this year, I'll say it again, the bet noir of this particular podcast, certainly from where I'm sat, but here he outdid himself. No Skydome, no title for title, no 70,000 fans, no Pat Patterson to make the thing watchable, just Hulk Hogan being Hulk Hogan in his most reprehensible Repugnant, repulsive, revolting. Yes, I've still got it open in front of me. Example. And just think, everybody, we choose to be fans of this shit. I think we should just move on, don't you, Adam? We've still actually got a main event to go, and then we've got to rate this stuff, and we'll talk about it again. Okay, everybody who had to endure that must be utterly discombobulated after it, so I forgive whoever it was who started to play DDP's music before Buffer has even started his intros. Okay, it really is main event time now. DDP is out first, and he does a grand version of his entrance by visiting the announce table and the internet table before going through the crowd. Goldberg is Goldberg. So we finish up with the People's Champion versus the World Champion. Okay, guys, no pressure. You've only got the industry to try and save. DDP talks trash and throws himself into the collar and elbow, but Goldberg just throws him back. Lock up again and a very nice arm drag by Page. Goldberg ain't having that, and he launches himself at Page and they tumble through the ropes. Big Goldberg chat that sounds legit to these ears, but Page slaps on a headlock. Goldberg with a flip, but a leg sweep by Page. Goldberg blocks the next attack and takes Page down into a cross-arm breaker. okay. Page easily in the ropes and a jawbreaker stuns him. He goes for the early cutter, but again, Goldberg hauls him out of the squared circle. Great facial expression here by Page, which reads, yep, this shit is on. lock by Goldberg, but Page takes to the mat in order to reverse it into an arm ringer. Wow. A good old-fashioned shoulder block, though, sends Page out again. Neck snap recovery by Page and a big neckbreaker in Russian leg sweep, followed by a cover for two. Big headlock, which Goldberg is able to rise up out of and goes down Page once more. Hefty strikes exchange until Bill takes Dallas over his head with sheer brute power. It's not in the manual, but it works. Side slam and then a weird cover. Goldberg had Page's leg in the air as if the latter was giving birth for a two count. Another rolling cross arm breaker sees Page end up in the ropes, and after a whip, Page with a head scissors of kind. Bill with a charge, but he hits post on shoulder. The commentators do a great job of selling this as an opening for DDP. Both men are doing the 59th minute of a Broadway sell and Paige is up with a good top rope clothesline. Two off that and a kick out with authority. Goldberg remembers to sell the arm as he just dumps Paige down off a whip, but he's up first. He calls for the cutter, but he's wiped out by the spear. Crowd comes to life, but his shoulder's hurting. Was it a mistake to try the spear? He isn't going to jackhammer him with one arm, now is he? He'll try. He can't do it first because Paige is dead weight. He does get him up for the second, but Page flips out into the cutter. A roof-raising pop for that, but Dallas is still hurt from the spear. He fights across the ring with his last vestiges of energy for one, two, and out. And for me, Goldberg kicked out too soon there. DDP tries for a suplex, but you know that only means a jackhammer. Dead centre of the ring. We have one. We have two. We have three. Goldberg retains and the streak goes on. Tony proclaims how much he loves this sport as Bill pulls Paige to his feet and they embrace. No time for fanfare because we really are now done with this show. Whoever your PPV provider. Adam will talk about the more technical aspects of this match in a short while, but let's face it, the two of them did what they had to do out there and that was try.
1: Yeah. um, First time about four matches, the crowd actually showed any reaction. well, unless you count the chanting warriors, sucks halfway through the next through the previous match. Yeah, um, I was going to make a joke about not being able to see this match, but uh, we'll that, do that we'll in a
0: second.
1: Get, <laughs> we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, this really, really good match. Um, it always used to be the thing with WCW pay per views where it was the undercard was solid and. The main events uh, were all about the story whereas uh, the fed it was always the other way around where the main where the undercard was really not worth a damn and the main events were always really solid because you were, because it was always either uh, Sean killing himself or or Brett just dragging someone through uh, pro- one of the best matches of their lives um, and yeah it seems to have Flipped for the on this occasion. Uh, Paige really got something out of Goldberg. This, I mean, the only other Goldberg match I can think of that's come close to being as good as this was probably uh, his, his matches with Raven, were pretty good. Um, I know you said earlier he wasn't much of a worker, but uh, Raven's psychology really made the Goldberg stuff work. Um I was going to say I was entertained by the Regal match, but that's, that. that's for different reasons. Um, yeah, as, as a match, I don't think we're ever going to see a better Goldberg match than this one. I don't see him developing as a worker that much that he can pull this off with just any sort of anyone. Paige just captured lightning in a bottle by being the right guy. Um, they had the right storyline behind it and you know in memphis they actually have um when memphis uh, was making was doing big numbers uh back in like the 60s 70s and the 80s in the memphis office they actually had these words above the door um personal issues draw money and in fairness three out of the last no four out of the last five matches on the show you could argue That the the personal issue certainly was drawing a lot of interest uh, on the build up. Um, Although uh, the Hogan versus uh, Warriors, possibly more just Hogan's own personal demons, uh, drawing nothing to it. Um, And yeah, they built up this story really well. Like I said, I watched a couple of the Thunders and they actually brought in uh, DD, they brought in Raven and Canyon uh, as sort of accessories to this feud and it, it sort of helped pad it out because um, it kind of it meant that both these guys could remain the baby face because it gave them some, some heels to play off um, and actually in all my notes for all the nitros uh, all the segments that ended with like a DDP Goldberg stare down I've just written the words the show could end here because it genuinely felt like a good solid title match build up which is something Goldberg just has not had in his reign so far this is the first time that there's actually he's actually had a match where you sort of sat back and thought yeah this 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 actually means something and that's what every title feud should do it should have that feel of yeah this is the main I mean his first one against Henning, okay that's because they switched the belt like the week before but every match since, there's just been nothing to get the crowd's interest. And this this one really, really grabbed the crowd. Um, I mean, the, my only real issue with the build-up to this is uh, that Fifth of October Nitro, where they had The Unopposed Hour versus Raw, and they just spent half of it replaying the same three vignettes for this and Hogan Warrior. Um, yeah, Page was just brilliant in the build-up to this. I thought uh, with, with um, him being, you know, the, the people's champion and being people seeing him as as just another guy, which is really impressive when you consider what he looks like. I mean, he's, you know, you've got a guy who's six foot five and it's like, I oh, oh yeah, it's just another guy. It's like, no, he kind of does look like a um, like a veteran wrestler. So the fact that he's managed to get the people believing him that much is just a testament to how good and how charismatic Page is. Um, and then, of course, you've got Goldberg who just... They're really... I mean, they've really cooled off on this, but the i don't know if it's where they're piping in the chance or what but the, the crowd still s- seem quite into this guy and, um i believe this was what 150 um, something and oh um something like that i um i've a feeling they've tweaked that figure slightly because he's i don't think he's having that would mean he would be having more than three matches a week which uh I've I've watched a few of the shows and he's not having he's not on TV that much uh, I don't know what what it's like with the house shows but i I have a feeling they're tweaking that number which uh, if I can see through it then there are other people in the crowd who can see through it which is it's a questionable decision to have uh, to have the one thing your champion is being heralded as being able to uh, for the crowd to be able to see through Um, but I I, I enjoyed this match and actually um, looking back at this card it's probably the only thing worth going back and checking out afterwards Um, it's just a shame that half the people who bought it didn't get to see it
0: which we will discuss very shortly as well this match fell just short to me, and I mean just short. I give both guys a massive amount of credit for having to follow the death of pro wrestling before them. They really gave their all. Page always does, so I want to give extra credit to Goldberg here. He knew he had to really step it up. As you say, this is his first real defence. You could even say it's first real match. Maybe you've got the Hall and Hogan matches back in July, but this is the first one where... I felt like he had something to prove, and I think he just about did it. The two guys here weren't helped by the length of this match, and we're going to talk about the pay-per-view going long in a short while. The match was only 10 minutes. Given their skill sets, it probably could only really be 10 minutes before it started to drop down the hill a bit. I get that, but the kind of story they were trying to tell did feel a little bit rushed. As I said in the play-by-play, they were doing the Broadway sell after about five or six minutes, and the tone wasn't quite right for that. Goldberg repeated himself once or twice, and that cross-arm break is nice. You don't need to do it 20 times a match. Page just seemed a little bit hurried on occasion, but I don't want to take too much away from them because they were busting their asses out there to try to give this crowd, who were stunned into appalled silence, something to really cheer just simply cheer remember that and when people can actually go to pro wrestling shows and cheer and enjoy them and these two fan favorites the two biggest fan favorites in the in the company went out there and had a highly notable and very creditable babyface match it was hard hitting it was solid it won't set the world on fire nor should it i don't think either of these guys are capable of having that sort of match but it wasn't about that they just wanted to give us something to enjoy And whilst I still think it was a little bit short than it should have been in an ideal world, it probably was just about right. And applause to them both for, in very trying circumstances, giving us this. Goldberg goes from strength to strength. I'm not sure Nash is the person I would put him up against next, but that's where it seems like he's going. And I do wonder if this is it now for Page. Once again, much like Brett, although on a much higher scale, We've been saying towards the end of our shows quite a lot, I was DDP at the other end of the mountain now, and he just about manages to hang on. Again, the day after this, he beat Brett for the US title. But is that his level? Is this his sole and only world title shot for somebody who at least deserves to be in the main event picture? Although as much as I like the guy, was a big nomination for my MVP last year, will be in the shakeup again this year, no doubt. For whatever reason, I just can't quite picture Diamond Dallas Page with the world title. Whereas with Goldberg, it looks like the most natural thing in the world. But anyway, Page was out there to do a job. Yes, in a literal sense, but in a very metaphorical one as well. And he earned every bit of his paycheck. There were grumblings backstage after this match that Page only got this shot because of his supposed friendship with Eric Bischoff. Whether that's true or not, forget it. Page gave a great performance here. Goldberg did his very, very best this sort of thing is only really going to max out at three and a half stars tops, but I do think they just about got there. So well done guys for a position. I would not wish my worst enemy on. And we all know right now who my worst enemy is. (laughs) Yeah. We don't want him in any main events. So then, Adam, if, and it's a big, if you can sum up Halloween Havoc 1998. And if it isn't going to just be a question mark out of 10, what is your score rating?
1: Um, it's weird on on papers. You look at the main event matches, you take Hogan Warrior out of it. It's, it's just it seems like a show that w- would be really good. Um, really don't believe Page is, um, is capable of being champion in, in some I'm not saying in...
0: capable, I just, it just there's just something missing there. I can't even put my finger on what it is. I'd like to be wrong, he deserves to be champion. Again, maybe maybe people think it would all be some sort of, again, nepotism because of his friendship with Bischoff. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong because he deserves no. a shot of some kind, but he's not going to win it off Goldberg, let's be honest. Yeah,
1: and no, I, I, you know, I don't see him as a long-term guy, but I could see him as a nice sort of short-term reign. Hopefully not, you know, so sure it's transitional. I, I
0: could see him doing that. Oh, um, he's earned it. Make no mistake, he's earned it. Yeah. But yeah, it's...
1: I'm trying. I'm trying to sum this up in the nicest way because there are there are a couple of good undercard matches, but not many. All the booking on four out of five of the big matches is um, at best questionable. Um, and I say that I think that might uh, that might be generous for most of them. Uh, I mean, the Pace Goldberg match on, on any other pay-per-view, that would be, I'd, I'd say, you could put some of the worst matches of all time on on a pay-per-view, and I'd still give it three out of ten just for that match alone. Um, I'm sort of looking at this show and I'm thinking, well, most of the matches aren't. That terrible. Um, a couple of them I do quite like. Um, I don't know. Like, like I said, was Wrath uh, versus Meng was what it should have been. Um, Finlay versus Ryan I, I quite enjoyed. Jericho versus Raven, I quite enjoyed. Um, but uh, I think at best, or, for me to give this a um, a rating, I, I could give it. A, I can't go any higher than a four, and I think even that. I'm being very generous with.
0: I'm going to go for a four as well, because regardless of what I think of two Disco Inferno matches on pay-per-view, Lodi being on (laughs) pay-per-view, a million other things beside which don't involve the semi-main events, I don't want to even give it the satisfaction of bringing the score down. I think you can probably guess, everybody, that if we never speak of you-know-what, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it was my dream. Maybe it was Adam's dream. Maybe it was your dream.
1: And believe me, this is not a dream!
0: We're in Phoenix, Arizona on the 26th. Halloween Havoc should be in the rearview mirror. But Tony opens by explaining the issues with the pay-per-view last night. Well, the broadcasting issues anyway. Suffice to say, they will open up the second hour by showing us all of Goldberg vs. DDP from the pay-per-view. Whatever the competition might say, this is not a ratings ploy. You got that? Really, not a ratings ploy. Larry says that technology can't be trusted. Just wait for the KY2 bug in the year 2000. Regularly scheduled programming starts with Stevie vs. Chaos. Kenny is quite the curtain-jerker these days. Bagwell watches Ray win with a double slapjack. Not a flapjack, a slapjack. Rick gets rid of them and then offers Chaos to be his partner later. Yep, he'd be my first choice. Uh, what are you looking at me like that for? Canyon does for Ikea very easily indeed, with the flatliner. Gene brings out the horseman. Flair says that Bishop has fallen on some hard times and sure enough here is the man himself. Totally unscheduled, says Oakland. Eric tells us he is a big enough man to admit when he's wrong. He underestimated just how much Rick means to all our fans. Everybody wants to see Flair get back in the ring, and Bischoff will let us see it, but he doesn't tell us his opponent. Alex Wright vs Barry Horowitz is over quickly, it's the neckbreaker that polishes the top again. Roth destroys Sick Boy with the meltdown, which everybody seems to love now, and we do indeed open the second hour with a repeat of Goldberg DDP. Mean Gene tries to get a word with Nash backstage, but Hall interrupts straight away. Nash didn't pin him last night because it wasn't about winning or losing. Hall says that last night, he finally hit a wall. His life is now going to change. But after a handshake, he jumps Big Sexy, and he and the Giant throw him through a wall. You know what? I see what they did there. The entire NWO are here. They give a big round of applause for Horace. None more deserving. And then Hogan says that last night they beat a god of wrestling. Hogan says that in the NWO you spill blood like wine, then stab yourself in the heart to prove your loyalty. Steady on. The NWO aren't for eternity, but they are for life. Saturn vs Eddie follows that. Some fine action here, until the LWO hit the ring for the DQ. It's all in the name. They have a new member who nobody can identify. Judy is here to tell us Bagwell has let us all down. She is a mother on a mission. She loves Marcus with all her heart, but she has had... Enough of buff. Rook and Chaos defend against the Giants and Stevie. The Steiner Bulldog to Ray keeps the belts on the new team. So, thanks to Bischoff, we do get to see Flair in the ring. From Bash at the Beach '94, it is edited to show Hogan completely dominating proceedings. So maybe not not that edited at all, really. To Eric, it proves Flair always has been and always will be second fiddle to Hulk Hogan. Hoovy versus Kidman or hot dinners. Not sure which one we get more of these days. This one is again on the brief side, but a very hearty snack. Reverse Rana nearly gets Guerrero the win, but the shooting star keeps the Cruiserweight title on Billy. Scott and Bagwell are out. Steiner has been putting girls down and making them tell him, who's the daddy? That's asking, Scott. Marcus dedicates this one to all the mothers out there. Your job is in the household. So dad, when mum gets home tonight, set her straight. (laughs) <laughs> Scott demands that JJ give him a rematch via his brother right now Because the referee who ended last night's match Was not the one who started it And he blames Dylan for everything JJ says it was the right thing to do But Scott shows us the right thing to do Putting Dylan in the recliner At least for now Warrior is still with us Hogan failed the challenge last night And it will haunt him forever He's not the only one the world of Warrior fans know he beat the hell out of him last night and the bullshit pinfall doesn't change it. I am the gatekeeper of hell. Yes, he actually says this. Hogan is in the ring and seems to want to do it again, but the NWO stop him. Horace does get in and takes his lumps, as does the Giant, and now Hogan is in. A dreadful shoulder block sends Hogan down, but the crowd only really care when he slugs off. They know who to blame alright. Hall and Steiner take on Conan and Aluga. Little doing here until the ref gets bumped. Conan brings a chair in. Steiner breaks up a rack attempt on Hall. Then we just go to break, with no decision being rendered. Brett defends the US title versus Page in the main event. Sign in the crowd says, the NWO loves corned beef hash. Well, don't we all? Wait, is that new music for Brett again? He seemed listless yesterday, but he is more into this one and DDP is DDP. Hitman goes for the illegal object. He misses though and gets hit with a cutter. The ref counts to three and Page is the US champ. Brett goes nuts afterwards and destroys Dallas with a chair. He locks on the sharpshooter as the fans chant for Goldberg, who we see for three seconds before the show ends. Okay, the final TV there you've just heard, we're going to wrap up by talking about the pay-per-view again. I just can't let it go, can I? And that is that a lot of lucky, lucky people did not actually get to see the end of the match, which didn't happen. They also didn't get to see any of the main event either. Because World Championship Wrestling, in their infinite wisdom, decided to make this pay-per-view, yes, this one, three and a half hours long, as opposed to the usual 245, 250. They made that decision. However, somebody didn't tell those very nice people at the pay-per-view companies. Most pay-per-view companies lay on six hours for wrestling pay-per-views, three for the live show and three for the replay shown instantly afterwards. Most, but not all. The not all, for whatever reason, were not informed of this particular change in circumstances. They weren't told there were going to be four Nitro girl skits, four interviews, and a Conan music video, (laughs) which I didn't get to see on my copy of the tape. I think Zero would have been too good for this show if that had been the case. The blame for this has fallen on one Jay Hospin in the Time Warner pay-per-view department. You know, somebody who works in a pay-per-view department sounds like he should be called Jay Hospin, doesn't he? But anyway, he is the one taking the flack or is at least trying to take the flak. And this meant, as you would have heard on the blurb just before, that Goldberg VDDP was rerun in its entirety from the pay-per-view on that edition of Nitro at the top of the second hour leading a certain other professional wrestling company in North America to think the whole thing was a stunt to try to secure ratings. And just before we went, we went up on air, we did indeed discover that WCW won that ratings war for that particular day and quite handsomely as well with a very nifty 5.1. I still think that this was not intentional, not even WCW would be that stupid. So Adam, to wrap up, I'm going to come to you on two things here. One, how could they be allowed to make such a stupid mistake? And two, is it indicative of the pressure starting to get to Eric Bischoff?
1: Um, I can answer your first question in two words. Because WCW.
0: Rim shots. (laughs)
1: Uh, um, It... It does... I've heard, I have heard a couple of rumors that it it was unintentional that it was running over and that they were quite desperately um, around the tournament, uh, just before the Hogan Warrior match, were trying to get in contact with the pay per view companies to try and extend it. I have heard rumors of that, but it's that's just that rumors. Uh, it seems an odd pay per view, that they were they'd want to experiment with a longer format on um which just makes it makes it worse the the fact that they're allowed to do that. Um I've I have oh often questioned some of Bischoff's decisions. Um I mean I've I don't know I don't remember if I went into it when it happened, but the uh, Hogan-Goldberg match was a was a sign that maybe he's not got his eye on the ball. The fact that he just gave that away um, on free T V and that was nearly six months ago now, which is actually quite a worrying thought when you consider that here we are over five months later and we've just had to hit Goldberg's first title defence. But yeah, I've. But the way Nitro's. Some of the stuff that they've put on Nitro. um, And the way that they just are not building to a lot of this stuff. You've got to wonder if. If Bischoff has got his focus in in the right place for any of this anymore. Um, I've. I've heard it said that a wrestling booker booking full time should not book for more. In a few years, a time I can't remember. Um, depending on who you speak to, we'll give you a different number for that. But it is a single-digit number of years. Um, Bishop's been doing this for what? I think it's five or five years, is it? Mm-hmm. Bishop's been. Doing it. So yeah, he's. I think he's approaching the higher end of when a wrestling booker should should talk sort of bow out. Well. I mean, you know, we're not in the territory days anymore. You can't just uh take his ideas, go to a, to another territory, uh play his trade there for a few years before coming back, which is the way it would have been done back in the day. Right now, um he W T W could just do with another hand on the helm, at least for a little while while Bishop um, I don't know he he has other duties he can focus on um, he can just he could just be an on character on uh, on camera character for six nine months it could really do with just um, a fresh look just to just freshen up the whole product because what works in 1996 is not gonna work in 1998. If what you're doing in if what you're doing in 1998 is the same thing you're doing in 1997, because people have seen it, they want something different. It's the way people are. Unless you've got something very special, you can't just keep reusing it time, time and time again. Um, the old adage of uh, a wrestling promoter taking an, uh, taking an idea and riding it like a horse. Uh, till that horse has been rode into the grounds, and then suddenly realizing he's got to get to a new horse because he's up, he's old one. Um, he can only see the ears on. Um, yeah, there's there's trouble afoot for WCW, and I, I genuinely believe the only way they can get out of it is to get. Someone else in the booking position, even if it's just for six months, nine months, just uh, to freshen it up, change the direction. Um, I mean, they, they're pushing new guys. You know, Goldberg wasn't around thirteen months ago. Uh, mentioned Rath on on the undercard. Uh, I know you said uh, Alex Wright; they've not changed him up, but he. I feel they're going with a direction with him um but the trouble is there are too many guys on their program that have had too much TV exposure they a couple of them could just do with going away for six months nine months get get them off camera um and it'll it'll do better in the long run because when because when they sort of start coming back people will be like I remember this guy. I, I used to like him, hate him, whatever. But it will, but they'll come back fresh, um, and people be wanting to see them again because they haven't had the chance to for for that amount of time. Um, but yeah, no, the the pay per view getting cut short is is just systemic of a bigger problem in WCW right now, and the trouble is. Bischoff is seemingly going unchecked. He's, it's Ted Turner's company and Ted Turner seems to have no input in this. And I think he he needs to sort of take a look and and get some changes in, in place because Bischoff is not the man to do that right now. He's, he's too close to see what the problem is.
0: See, somebody who really has got his hand on the tiller and is in control of every aspect of the company would not allow a mistake like the pay-per-view going three and a half hours, not informing the pay-per-view companies carrying the thing to happen. Cannot imagine Vince McMahon doing that. Can't even imagine Paul Heyman doing it. (laughs) Okay. Have a nice run-in with the pay-per-view companies afterwards when it comes to payoffs, but that's another story. Eric Bischoff is clearly losing control of this company. He's losing control of it creatively. The lunatics are clearly running the asylum, and he is just going along with it because of the egos there. He just cannot placate. We all know who they are. A lot of talk over the last couple of months that Kevin Nash is now playing a very heavy role in the booking, and that worries me with a title shot potentially coming up on the horizon, but we'll get there if and when we get there. I hope we don't. Departments whether they're run by WCW, whether they're run by Time Warner, they all tie back into producing the company's television. And Bischoff, who is executive producer, is in charge of television. He has been ever since he took that role five and a half years ago. The buck does stop with him. Making mistakes like that, you can blame it on poor old Jay Hospin, or you will. It's Eric Bischoff's fault. The truly bizarre booking. Yes, you can blame it on Kevin Sullivan and Terry Taylor, all you want. Who signs it off? Eric Bischoff. Who brings in Jay Lano to point at his chin for 20 minutes at a pay-per-view event held in front of a bunch of bikers in a place nobody has ever heard of with a zero pay-per-view gate? Eric Bischoff. He has made mistake after mistake after mistake. Hindsight is 2020, but I did say so at the time. I just want to pat myself on the back. Go into smug mode just briefly. That moment in May. But already lost a couple of ratings weeks at this point, remember, in May 1998, when he came out on the bike with the crown on his head, saying how great it was to be king and kicking WWF's WWF's arse every single week, but it wasn't even fun anymore. And the next week they lost, and they've only won twice since. Again. Ask and you shall receive, Mr. Bischoff. And you need to get control of this company. You need to try to tell you-know-who backstage to get in line. You need to tell the cameramen not to miss vital moments in the ring. You need to tell your bookers to try to write things which make actual sense. You need to tell your pay-per-view team. If a pay-per-view is going long, they need to make that call. If you are in charge, you have to do these things. You might not like it. You might think on a Monday morning you truck down to Atlanta. Oh my God, I've got to deal with fucking Hogan again. I understand that, but nobody made you do this. But Vince McMahon has lived this every minute of his life. You could not take it away from him. And maybe for Bischoff, this is just the job. Maybe he really would just be fit, rather be you know, selling meat out of a truck in Minneapolis after all. Maybe he wishes he had carried on doing that. But if he wants to keep the fight going, then he's got to try to assume control of these people. And I know that is easier said than done. But if he doesn't, it's only going to end one way. Which two years ago would have been utterly unthinkable. But the mood music is playing very, very nicely indeed. Up north and down south. It's just, just becoming a bit of a lament. And during a show where there's been quite a lot of lamentation, I think it is time to end it there. Don't you, Adam, my friend? Thank you very much indeed for joining me on this auspicious edition of the podcast.
1: Yeah, it's... um it, I would say it's been fun, but I had to watch... I had to watch that match, so um, I don't know if I can quite go that far, but, you know, I can only go up from here, surely.
0: One man's meat is another man's poison, like my mum always said. The one man's fun is another man's... Yeah distinct lack of fun really when it comes to that match Adam you have your fingers in many many pies out there now is your chance to tell but listen to populace should they still be with us exactly what those pies are
1: um well uh if you want to follow me on on the Twitterverse, uh el underscore j um it's uh it's not my preferred me- method of communication but uh I'll, i do uh i do converse on occasion um, if you found some of my rants interesting but would like to hear them a bit more, say, political and, and scripted, uh, I occasionally guest on the Mindfuck podcast. I mean, I've not done one in a few weeks, but I believe uh, the one that's being dropped the weekend after this podcast comes out, uh, I'm doing an interesting piece on... Um, that links together the Serena Williams controversy with the Brett Kavanaugh controversy, with the Count Dankula controversy, and because he cameos on on all of my appearances on the Mind Park podcast, uh, Tommy Robinson and the Army, um, <laughs> and I, him him
0: again, but star of the Clash of the Champions watch along, <laughs>
1: yeah, um, and yes, yeah, so, I've uh, so yeah, I've got them in one of my uh, little asides and managed to link it together seamlessly if i say so myself bravo um so yeah uh like i said that's uh, the the upcoming mind fart podcast i believe that's mind fart numbers 58 um also once we finish recording this i'm going to be uh finishing writing up my next mind fart which i believe will be uh in the next couple of weeks um celebrating 10 years of i say celebrating it'll be uh looking over 10 years of Barack Obama um, and how Trump is not so, so much the reaction to him as, as a natural progression. If, you, uh, if you're finding that a bit too hardcore, um, I am also a stand-up comedian. You can find out more about my dates on, uh, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash el.j.comedy. Um, and if you want to see a comedian actually die on stage, uh, I'm doing a political night on <laughs> on the 6th of November at the Royal George uh, in central London. Uh, I, I feel I may actually die because, it, like I said, it's a political night, which in central London means it's a lot of liberals. And my first joke is going to be an anti-Michelle Obama joke. So
0: Reel him um... <laughs> in early, yeah?
1: <laughs> well... Uh, I mean, the left is supposed to be tolerant. um, So I'm really going to put it to the test that night. (laughs) Um, And I I do have other dates lined up, uh, which I should actually update. I will be be updating them all on that page this evening. Um, So, yes, feel free to click on there, have a like. And if you're not on Facebook, I am looking to expand to other social media outcomes because... um, of reasons I have discussed on my Facebook page in the past. Uh, so yes, I believe, I believe that's that's all I have left left to plug right now.
0: There are no pies left in Greg's after that one. But you, you've got <laughs> quite a lot going on, Adam. You know, putting me to here, I am just doing this doing this podcast morning, noon, and night. You're out there having a life and telling Michelle Obama jokes. <laughs> that's where that's where I'm going wrong. I'm I'm at the helm of this particular wingding now. Hosting podcasts of matches like Hogan Warrior 2 from Halloween Havoc 98. I ask you now, who is the rich man? It's you, of course. But, yeah, but we are the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, and we can be found on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. We can also be found at Facebook at Wrestling20Years. I run the Twitter, Chris Lacey runs the Facebook. Anything you want to come back on this particular show or any of the other shows, maybe you perversely liked Hogan Be Warrior. And after we've made the phone call, maybe we've got, after we've made the phone call for you, then we will engage you in conversation about it until they arrive at your house. How can you listen to this show? You can listen to us via Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play. All the usual methods of picking up pod catchers, as they call them, in this day age of the train. That is October 2018, and we are now. Thanks to Mr. Chris Lacey. We are now officially on Spotify. Yes, and if you log on to Spotify, find us there, Wrestling 20 Years Podcast, our full name on that one, you will see the entire archive of every single show going right the way back to Bob Amber's prologue in July of 2013. Every single month of pro wrestling from July 2013 to very much including this one is there for you. If you did decide to make your debut on WCW October 1998, you were won over by the fact that somebody was going to be discussing Hogan versus Warrior. And quite frankly, why wouldn't you? If you want to stay with us after that, then trust us, it's never quite this bad again until we get to WCW 2000. If you like what you've heard on this particular show, the fact that we managed to break that one down without breaking ourselves down, too much, then why not drop us some money on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. $1 will get you every single show when it is edited up and ready. We normally normally issue our shows at the end of every single month. If you're on Patreon, when a show is up and ready, it will be in your inbox right away. You will not need to wait. If you want to go up to the $5 tier, you will get our monthly specials, our monthly watch-alongs, our award shows, always going to be something different for you there. Uh this month, Chris, Chris, and the boy Dan Welling looked at NXT TakeOver London from December 2015. I fired up my network and listened to that one last week it was an excellent time. And people accuse us of living in the past. Our next watch along, planned for November, doesn't even exist yet, for it is going to be none other than NXT War Games 2. Chris, Chris, and Dan at the helm. Just to recap for you, volume two. WWF show, Judgment Day, Volume 3, ECW, leading the march in November, to remember. So from me and from Adam Joyce, we're out of time. we got to go. But please, everybody, don't have nightmares.
2: But in the meantime, the Warrior is pumping back up. He's coming. side in Horace, and Bischoff's grabbed the referee. Horace is come in the ring. Horace! Oh. Hit the Run. warrior in the back of the head! Why? Why? Run! Hogan! Hogan wins the match! It's obvious to me that blood is thicker than water, gentlemen. I can't believe what we just
0: witnessed. Don't have nightmares. don't
2: they still be alive, somewhere, somewhere down and only dear A hundred steel towns away Well the river by my heart Is beating like a drum With the words I love you rolling off my tongue No, never will I roam For I know my place is home Where the ocean meets the sky I'll
0: Don't have nightmares Don't have nightmares Don't have nightmares. Don't have nightmares.